Hey everybody, welcome to Next Planet Over, a podcast devoted to sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV shows. I'm your host, Michael, on the other side is Andrew. Hello. Andrew is my co-host for our other show, Video Night. We're taking a break from that for a month, and we're going to be uh, discussing one of our favorite bands. Uh, they had a TV show called The Aquabat Super Show on The Hub for a few seasons, and they're trying to revive this show, and they have a Kickstarter right now called We Are the Aquabats. They're trying to get at least enough money for a super long episode and an album, and hopefully they can get to the point where they can do a whole season, which for, you know, these days, a whole season's like eight to ten episodes, which is surprising considering the way TV shows used to be. Yeah, these are only half-hour episodes. Well, it's just short of a half-hour. Yeah, and, and the funny thing about shows when you do one episode the cost is usually higher because you got to build the sets you got to get all this all these people together do all the auditions and stuff like that rebuild things if it's a revival show so yes the budget for the first aquabats episode is fairly large considering the rest of them they have a whole thing explaining all of this is that you know a lot of it goes into the fact that kickstarter actually takes a large chunk out of uh, what they get in Kickstarter, and then they have to put a lot of money into the uh, the prizes that they're giving away with each you know certain level of donation. That's the one thing about Kickstarter people don't get is sure you raised a million dollars, you're not going to walk away with a million dollars. No, because you also have these tiers of merchandise and promises that you have to meet, and that costs. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that their first step would have been just hey a new album. Uh, and maybe putting the series out on DVD first, you know, with special features. That could have raised more well, money. Well, I do believe they have DVD and Blu-ray of their previous two seasons. It is, but I've seen that should have been the first tier. Like, they should have hit that goal and then maybe the episode. I don't know. $1.1 million is a lot of money for a band that's it's had a following, but it's always kind of a niche following. They never really broke through. No. They did, in 1999, get played on MTV, and just before that, how they got on MTV was K-Rock started playing the song Super Rad, and that got them some notoriety for a moment, for just like a moment. Enough for their uh, tours to actually have people go to the shows more than they used to, and now they just are always packed whenever they do shows. Yeah, I, I didn't... Aquabats, um, you said they didn't break out until 99? I could have sworn they had a couple albums that were before that. They, kind they had of one some... album before that. Okay, okay. So their kind of later uh, run, the the third wave ska was basically started off around 92, 93, right? And then it really kicked into high gear right No, third wave, third wave ska started kind of like how uh, emo started, their tandem. Um the real emo thing, not the screamo emo thing. Right. Um, they it's late '80s. Uh, in fact, I think um, Fishbone is considered third wave, and that is mid '80s. Okay, okay. So it goes it goes like this. Here's the ska history brief for you. Uh, back in the '50s, Jamaica said, "Hey, we need a music, all of our own, all our own. Let's let's get the I forget the guy's name, Coxon, I think, uh, to." create a style of music for Jamaica. That's like so awesome that a, a little country has its own musical style. And it wasn't reggae. It was called ska, or early version was called bluebie, which is a really um, mellow version. And my boy Lollipop, you know that song? No. My boy Lollipop. Da, 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 da. 
No, I'm you sorry. Don't know it? I don't. I don't. Song from the early uh, from the early '60s. It's a really great song. Um, and uh, eventually, Annette Funicello would go on to cover another one called uh, "Ska Ska Ska" mm-hmm. and "Back to the Beach." That was also performed with Fishbone, even though it's a cover of an old song. So Blue Beat's slower. And then all those Jamaicans started moving over to the UK for some reason. Once they got to the UK, working class Jamaicans, working class white guys would get together and hang out. And the Jamaicans introduced their ska and Blue Beat to the working class white guys. And because the working class people are like colorblind then at the time, they were really open to combining forces. So you had punk happening. And so the punks got together with the Jamaicans and they created this thing called two-tone ska, which is like specials and selector and madness. And even at one point, the police were almost considered that. Definitely. But then they were, they were just a little too pop. They weren't quite uh, Jamaican or punky enough. They weren't quite there, so they, they became more mainstream. It's all funny that the mainstream stuff is never quite always there. But uh, And then stateside, you had people following the two-tone stuff. And like I said, Fishbone, which was like a band from the 80s. I, maybe Fishbone started. I don't know. There's also a documentary called um, I, I, I OC Ska or something. I forget what it is. Ska in the 90s? It's a new documentary. There's another Kickstarter for it. I should have known this. Um I believe Aquabats are part of it, but it talks about all the ska that came out, um, maybe third wave, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it's going to get into the history of ska. But that's basically it. From 85 on, it's the third wave. Well, you, there's different interpretations most... of it, though, because, you know, the fishbone is more of the traditional sound mixed with, like... So, it, it's, sort of. Yeah, it has a bit of more of, like, also, a... It's also really funk to it. Weird. Yeah, it has a, yeah, a little bit of Red Hot Chili Peppers, weird. what they were doing mixed with ska. But then, right. if you look at what was coming out of Boston, you know, with the Mighty Mighty Bostones, which is probably the first right, that band. that was the early 90s. Yeah, and that's probably the first band of, like, our generation to actually start getting a lot of MTV play, getting a lot of word of mouth. But then it blew up in 97 with more of the SoCal uh, ska, which, you know, was the real big fish. You know, like, um, almost like a, a party punk mix with ska. Yeah, but... Just before that, you're forgetting one, which is Operation Ivy. Oh, right. Which 89, is yeah. very, very influential. That's Northern California, uh, Ska, and out of Operation Ivy came Rancid. So, um, and Rancid is like one of the, you know, holy godfathers of Ska, and I kind of can't stand their current stuff. Or uh, There's a new band called The Interrupters, which is sort of Rancid pop light fronted by a girl and it sounds great except i don't really fancy the vocals which is like uh joan jett i I don't like it tough snooty vocals i don't like it on guys i don't like it on girls yeah for for the the most part you think that most of that third wave ska um is kind of toss away And, and i have to agree a lot of it is not very layered it's not well a lot of it seems to be just covers of other songs like Oh, let's just do an 80s version of, what is that, Street Light Manifesto? They do just plain old covers of old songs in a ska fashion, which I can appreciate in one way, but you're not breaking any new ground. You're not you're not creating your own thing. Whereas Aquabats have gone that extra measure at, for being an homage to certain things of the past, but a sound that's so new and so theirs 
that you can't deny how unbelievably creative they are, and that they should be bigger than they have. You know, I just they never even had an album probably sell over uh, two hundred thousand copies. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I do know um, as as a young ska band, what would happen in the '90s is you would get on these compilations. Uh, you'd get on, "Hey brother, can you spare some ska?" or "Ska goes to the movies." Or ska this, ska that. I don't know. Actually, ska, I have one. I have one up. sitting right here. I don't think the Aquabats are on it, but I have a ska punk mix I found for like a buck at a garage sale. It's called "Give so, 'em Give 'em the Boot" by Hellcat Records, and it has a bunch of that stuff on there. Okay, so that's Hellcat. But a lot of those albums were actually cover albums. Like they have um, a Grease. I, I think actually Less Than Jake did their own miniature version of Grease. I think it's a seven inch. Has really fast versions of the <laughs> soundtrack to Greece than ska. But there are bands that have staying power and they stick. And I know this is the Aquabats show, but um, one of those bands didn't stick around, but is uh, was a contemporary to, uh, to Aquabats, is the Siren Six, and they just dissolved in 2001, I do believe. I actually don't which know is a shame. Uh, what is it called, the Siren Six? Yeah, they're the absolute best legitimate ska band because what they did is they were like, had that opinion that I have. Like most ska came from high school uh, bands, <laughs> high school bands, jazz bands, or marching bands. Mm-hmm. Most bands got together that way and they didn't really have um, chops or they, they could all play their instruments fine, but they weren't really uh, cool. None of them had cool hipness uh, sort of hipness not hipsterness but hipness to them and they were trapped within this dorky have to wear this sky uniform of either the the baggy kind of kevin smith uniform yeah uh, but with a hawaiian shirt instead and or or like the rude boy thing where you're wearing a pork pie hat or a driver cap and a little vest and braces and boots and stuff which the braces and boots thing can look pretty cool that's suspenders to those who don't know braces are suspenders in england um but the i'm, I'm i lost my train of thought <laughs> uh the siren six brought a style of fashion a mod nest to their thing like um they had horns and their second album had less horns but their music was just so much you can imagine them going far, but then, you know, the, the L.A. record machine chew them up and spat them out. So uh, well, that, they only the just taste, now... The taste of music changed so fast. You could be red hot for one minute, and it just fades away. I mean, if you look in the past, the all is, the big music movements, but, you know, ska was really only mainstream for maybe two, three years. Yeah, yeah. The deal is, though, with them, they knew that they were dropping out. And, and Siren Six knew that they were the the movement was uh, the the musical movement was dropping out, uh, so they were trying to adjust and change. They had this really cool sound come out of it. Aquabats also knew that, so they were leaning heavily into the novelty. Yeah, well, it so also doesn't definitely... help. Think about this: if your scene is fading, that means ticket sales are going down, and then you look around and you have seven members in your band, maybe more, and then you're like, I can't afford to pay all these people and nor do they probably want to keep touring making nothing money so ska bands almost were destined to implode yeah uh yes because they're all enormous amount of 
band members. The Aquabats started as eight or nine, because depending on show, it would be eight or nine guys up there playing. Now, you were um, lucky enough to band... see them, right? Yes, yes, I was. Um, my very first Aquabats show, well, first I saw some Aquabat footage of a live show shot, I think, in Southern California at the Showcase Theater or something like that, or whatever, doesn't matter, um, on this television show called ROV. This is before I ended up working for ROV. I did graphic design illustrations uh, for the moment before or after a commercial. So they're bumpers is what they're called. And it would be just something relevant to the show. And um, I saw this clip and I was like, what are these guys? These guys are weird. So I looked up them up on the Internet and I was like, okay, these guys are cool. Oh, they're playing locally. So me and a friend went. And I liked them enough. And I heard them enough at that time, but I had never seen them. And I went there, and the place is packed. It's like a full show. It's a smaller venue, but it's a huge crowd, huge crowd. And it's too hot, and the AC went out. Oh, no. And by the end, I had bought the headgear, so the goggles and the hat thing, the, their stupid helmet. It's all made out of neoprene, so it's lightweight. So I have that sitting on my head. And I have the goggles on my forehead because I wear glasses. So I'm just outside waiting. And um, because they said, hey, 10 minutes, we take a 10-minute break or we stop the show now. After 10 minutes, we'll keep rocking, but we need to get some water and cool off. And so everybody's like, all right, 10-minute break. So everybody's outside. They come back. I'm the last person in. There's a rail to get into the place, and I just hurdle it because I'm like, oh, crap. So I hurdle it, and I'm standing in the doorway. And I have the thing on my head, not over my eyes yet. And MC Bat Commander, at the time just called Bat Commander, says, anybody who's an Aquabat cadet, come to the stage. Anybody with a headgear, come to the stage. And I'm just standing there. I don't remember that I have the headgear on my head because it, I can hardly feel it. <laughs> two people in front of me turn and look at me. The two people in front of them turn and look at me. And then it spreads, like all the people turn and look at me. <laughs> and then I go, oh, oh, like crap. And I pull the goggles down over my face. And then I start to walk forward. And as I walk, the crowd parts like oh. it was a holy man. <laughs> yes. So then Crash McLarson reaches down and pulls me up. And at this time, I only know like two songs. I know CD Repo Man and Ska Robot Army. That's like all I know. And then they're like, we're going to do the ska. We're going to do the Aquabat anthem. And I'm like, I don't. Okay. And then I also never skanked before. So there's like three other nerdy, dorky people with headgear up there other than the Aquabats badly skanking. Uh -huh. Skanking is the disguise. So, uh, yeah, it's, it was, that's, my, that's my, <laughs> my terrible story. It's actually a fun story. I like that one. I felt totally like there needed to be a spotlight on me, but there wasn't. But it just felt like there was. The you know, glow came from within me. Yeah. It always seems like those uh, those niche bands that you love so much, they're always playing in the worst venues. There's a, there's a thing in music that I really love, and it's the novelty gimmick band. And I don't mean like in the way Coheed and Cambria, like it's a story. I'm talking a very particular look. Uh, they almost create their own mythology with their music. And there's another band that's kind of similar to theirs, but they're more rockabilly, is The Phenomenons. 
and I went and saw them. Oh, right. Yes. I saw them in the storage container, basically, for a giant record store in San Luis Obispo. And we probably fit 120 people inside, which basically just like, you know, looked like it was storage for a lawn equipment. And it was so friggin' hot in there. I could, it was in, in, just insane, uh, yeah. But And they're wearing their big uniforms, you know, like full-on, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the band, but they have these huge, heavy costumes. And I was just like, oh, that's dedication right there. Yeah, I didn't know they wore heavy costumes. And the Aquabats used to have, they, so, okay, we haven't really described the Aquabats. Folks who don't know. The Aquabats are surfer dudes, so they wear rash guards. Rash guards protect you from sand and coral ripping up your body if you wipe out. And they have big board shorts. And the rash guards are usually all one color. Sometimes they were green. Sometimes they're purple. Very rarely. I don't think at all. No, they're red once. That's for Christmas. Yeah, it's, it's mostly blue, but usually, yeah. Usually right now their uniform is blue. And they have uh, this headgear that uh, it's a neoprene helmet and neoprene goggles that goes over their eyes. It's so called a it's negativity really... helmet. <laughs> anti-negativity helmet. Oh, that's right, anti-negativity. <laughs> yeah. So they would play their show, and in the middle of their show, their show would be interrupted by some ne'er-do-well, like the sand fleas. Now, the sand fleas were a uh, beach rock band or a surf rock band modeled after bands that you would see in beach blanket bingo type movies but they had black stockings over their face faces and velcro eyeballs poking off of them <laughs> um so you they could place the eyeballs anywhere on the head one would have a big eyeball in the middle of his head the others have eyeballs just googly eyes basically but since they're black uh stockings over their heads they can actually see through them but those guys come up and try to steal the show from the aquabats so the sand fleas, and they always wore striped uh, sweater shirts. Um, another thing would be powdered milkman because oh, no, no kid wants to eat cereal with powdered milk. That's disgusting. So their whole thing was like appealing to uh, what you liked as a kid. It's really nostalgia based, honestly. Um, so they're very Saturday morning cartoon concepts. At the same time, they merge uh, Mexican wrestling and tokusatsu what's that do you know what tok no i tokusatsu know i was gonna say kaiju a, but i didn't know what yeah you're, you're, you're close you're close tokusatsu is the japanese word for special effects basically oh, okay but it, it's a general moniker or a general term for kaiju movies uh super saiyan movies uh, all those even like when they had uh, spider-man back in the 70s that's a tokusatsu show uh, anything where there's dudes flying through the air, chopsaki, punching around. Yeah. Well, there's a, a little bit of the 60s cool Batman in there, too. Monsters. Look. Well, yes, that's definitely there, too. Um, it also references to Scooby-Doo and things like this, as far as like album artwork. In fact, yeah. the return of the Aquabats, the first album, the CD face was that um, design taken from, taken from Scooby-Doo, the beginning where it's a swirl. And then it has the eyes coming up. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Ghosts of Scooby Doo. Yeah, that is just the CD face. Yeah, and, and so like, over. I recognize that. Yeah, so over those first few albums, it was basically well, it was supposed to be a ska but surf music, and then there's like these weird tangents they go. 
off like around track 10. Mind you, if you ever buy an Aquabats album, you're going to get your money's worth because they don't just do 40-minute CDs. They fill that sucker. And there's all these sort of random... There's one that feels like it's from a Tim Burton, like Nightmare Before Christmas, about a, he, uh, he wants to marry a spider and it's going to eat him. I can't, I can't remember the name of the song. It's so good. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I haven't heard the, that album in a long time. Uh, I do know the thing in the bass amp is really good. Um, Canis Lupus is about dogs. Yeah. The Canis Lupus, the domestication of the dogs. And it's just a tribute to dogs. It's, it's really fun. All of their songs are really fun. Not all of them are really great, but all of them are really fun. Uh, the attitude and point behind it. It's really fun. Yeah, a lot. I mean, some um, of it's kiddie, but none of it goes full on. What's, I'm trying to figure out the one. There was one album they did where it seemed like it was mostly throwaway songs, uh, with Pool Party and Pizza Day and stuff like that. When your album yeah, of those throwaway are songs standouts. are so good, even when it's a, a cast off <laughs> album, I love it. You don't even know, dude. And Christian Jacobs was an actor. Uh, he was a child actor. I, I remember he showed up on a couple of episodes of V. And so he kind of learned, you know, stuff from the acting world that he brings over to the Aquabats. I don't know if anybody else in the band was a former actor, but... Yes. Yes, are, are his they? brother. His okay. brother, the professor, Parker Jacobs, the cartoonist. He is the uh, other actor. So they both did acting when they were kids. And you can see Parker in a few commercials. I'm sure you can see Christian, the Bat Commander. In commercials, but Parker played no music in the band, but he was the professor. Kind of, if you think about it, the Powerpuff Girls have a professor who created the Powerpuff Girls. Mm -hmm. Aquabats did it first. Okay. So, um, yeah. So he's he was featured live a lot. He would just come up onto the stage and it would be the professor, and he'd come on, deliver a message, and then leave. And they'd be like, "Oh no, we've got to stop." I, I don't know. The Sand fleas. That's the only one I can really remember. That and Powder Milkman. They're uh, they're having a uh, four-hour reunion kind of finale. I don't know what the finale part means, which scares me. Um, concert on September 1st, and all that money is going to go towards a Kickstarter, but apparently the Sand Fleas are going to come back, and they're going to have this huge, <gasps> epic show. So it's like, Ooh. I kid you not, the minimum ticket is 50 bucks. It's 150 for the big package, you know, with all the pictures and signings and stuff like that. Four hours so that means they're probably going to play every single song that they've ever done and then mix in all their greatest sketches yeah yeah it's, or, or all new stuff maybe you know, i don't um, know there's a lot of songs that never got released after um high five soup came out have you ever heard of the radio program the ska parade no why southern california is where Ska got broke to the world. It wasn't just K-Rock. K-Rock was the last part that you need. K-Rock, the world-famous K-Rock, is the last piece in order to get famous and, and be a ska band. So, no doubt, that was their last piece. Okay. And then they blew up. Aquabats had that last piece, but they didn't really take, and I think it's because they just didn't have a cute girl front you know? Well, it's also kind of niche. I mean, if you're a fan of... The, the reason I discovered the band is because I was a huge obsessive of Devo. And I remember... God, I'm trying to... 
I want to say that I was looking on like eMusic or something and going through all these bands that were similar to Devo and then just somehow linking from those bands to linking to other bands and somehow I got the Aquabats. No, I can see how Aquabats, yeah. see how Aquabats would be linked. Yeah, I got the Aquabats but, and the Phenomenons out of Devo and Devo was always a very, yeah. very intelligent band but for a very particular audience. They only had that one right. breakthrough song, a few other MTV hits, but general audiences only know them for Whip It. A lot of people look at yeah. them as they're a joke, and that's the way it kind of is with a lot of these like costume bands. Is that they're very niche, and you got to well, have, I mean, a, they you know have a mindset. They know that. They absolutely have. They absolutely know that that's their audience. That's actually the audience that they want to get, but they also want to get um, the audience, the mass audience, to accept them. Yeah, well, um, Charge but, is probably their most mainstream album, and there's I would say almost every single song from that album is single worthy. Okay, yeah, that's yeah I remember. Um, that's with uh, Fashion Zombies. Yeah, that was like their one single from it. But I, I would say there's a lot of really solid songs on there, and they had um, elevated their sound. And there was a long gap between their ska years and Charge, and then there was a big gap between Charge and High Five Soup. And I think you and I were both commenting when it came out that it seemed like they went really downhill in um, how complicated their songs were. I mean, there's a couple songs in there. I mean, yes, I get they're trying to gear towards a younger audience because the show was debuting, but I just kept sitting there going, yeah. "Oh God, really? That don't the the what's I want to buy? I spent all my money. Whoopsie!" And I was like, "This isn't Sesame Street. Please stop." Well, okay. So they had also made, it also developed. The Aquabats were featured on heavily, and they developed Yo Gabba Gabba, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a Nickelodeon show for children, for little kids. And it featured some of the kaiju characters. Um, Parker, I'm pretty sure, designed a bunch of them. Uh, but let's go back to the Ska Parade real quick. Ska Parade was this radio program out of KUCR. Uh, K, I'm sorry, out of Irvine College. I forget what the... Anyway. <laughs> out of Irvine. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't remember the, the call sign for, for Irvine's radio program. But... Tazy Phillips started it, and he actually ended up playing keyboards for, no doubt, for like two shows and filling in for somebody at one point. And then um, he just, he broke, no doubt, to the world. So he was the grassroots guy who broke the world. Ska, it's Ska Parade is the radio show, and it's still going strong. Look it up, Ska okay. Parade. But he once set up a radio program like you want to always do, uh, uh, like a sort of serial, but it wasn't a serial. It was just one program, a drama, an action drama in this case. It was Guar versus the Aquabats. No, no. Does that exist yes. anywhere where I can hear it? Yeah, look it up. Okay. Guar versus the Aquabats. Yeah. And if you look it up, you just might see some very crappy artwork accompanying it that I did <laughs> as a as a fan, and I sent it to Tazy, and Tazy ended up using it for the show, um, just whenever he puts it up online. In fact, I put it up on my GeoCities. That's how long ago this was. I put it up on my GeoCities website of the Aquabats kicking the heinies of Guar. Of course, I was on the Aquabats side. I wasn't really into Guar, and they're gross and dirty and bleh. <laughs> but my drawings are, if I did them now, they would be so much better. But I did them then, 96, 97, and they're not good. But uh, the show was very silly. 
this kid, he made a website devoted to it before Tazy did. And he ended up lifting my artwork and using it. And then I found that guy and I was like, hey, that's my artwork. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, can I use it? I'm like, sure. And he's like, okay, thanks. So, like, that's the drama there. Yeah. Um, which is, there is none. <laughs> but, yeah, it's pretty lame artwork. I also did uh, another drawing, also in 97, where I did a much more focused and better drawing, but it still wasn't good. So I never colored it or anything. Until this year, I repenciled it, re-inked it, all that, recolored it, and or just colored it for the first time. And you'll see that accompanying this podcast. That Redux. Of, yeah. What? Nothing. I just, I didn't, I, there was a long pause. I had to fill it in. I don't know what I was doing. Sorry. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, so regarding artwork, here's the other uh, lightly related to the Aquabats uh, story that I have. Um, so the Aquabats are Mormons. That's the end of the story. No, okay. the Aquabats were a Mormon band in general. Like not all the band members were Mormon, but they had a they had Mormon members. I'm not sure if Parker and Christian are Mormon. I think they are, but they have a very huge Mormon fan base. And one of my friends, Betsy, I won't say her last name. Uh, she was a very avid, uh, fervent believer. Mormon, and she knew the Aquabats. She just knew them because, I guess, when you're Mormon, you know the Aquabats. <laughs> like she knew, th you know them personally, right? Uh, okay. She knew me personally, and she knew that I did not like the illustration and style from the brand Paul Frank. Oh, I don't right, know right, if right. You know what that? Yeah. yeah. Julius, yes. Julius the monkey, Paul Frank. And I think at the time I was really sore about Paul Frank because of Paul Frank himself, that he uh, had, you know, kind of a sort of Me Too moment before the Me Too thing happened. So I was just kind of like down on that. And I really didn't like the, I was an adult guy. I'm not into that kitty looking childish art, right? But Parker and buddies are standing around outside of an Aquabats show and Betsy's there, and she's hanging out. They're all in this conversation, and Parker worked for, at the time, the Paul Frank Industries. Oh, no. And he and he says, we're, we're looking for some more illustrators because oh. we got to expand and get some more illustrators in. And uh, we've been looking at this guy, Jemetsko. Oh, I can hear it. I can just see this one coming, man. Go ahead. <laughs> and Betsy chimes in immediately oh. and says... Oh, he hates Paul Frank. <laughs> so I had heard nothing of this at all. Nobody came to me at all. And then I talked to Betsy like the week after she sees the Aquabats at that show. And she tells me that very story. And you hear the record scratch, the, the brakes squeal. And I'm like, why? Why did you even... You know, I can work for people that I don't like their product. Maybe I could bring something new to their product to make it better. Not that I would, because back then I was not that good. Oh, As now, you know, 20 years later, I'm much better. So, but yes, that's my loosely related to the Aquabat story. Wow. <sighs> yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so you, 
You predicted that. <laughs> the show. The show is uh, two seasons. But here's the weird thing is, when I look up the history of the show, it was really broken up erratic. Like, the first season did fine. It was on a network called The Hub, which I believe Hasbro owned. And yes. I, th I think they ran it with another company, maybe like ABC or something like that. And um, most of it, oh, Discovery. It was Discovery Channel, uh, their spinoff. And um, Hasbro ran it with them, and they would try to produce their own shows. And I just remember, like, a lot of what was on The Hub was reruns of old shows from the 80s and 90s. It was like a nostalgia channel. But, you know, then you hear about the Aquabats popping up on that, and you're like, oh, my God, this band that I really love that you just want, you know, to see break through finally has a shot. They get one season. They get Emmy nominations. They get pretty solid ratings. It's, one place said it was the highest rated original programming that they had, um, but I, I've seen conflicting um, information on that, so I don't know if that's true. But then all of a well, sudden, about Emmys, well about Emmys, they did get an Emmy for Yo Gabba Gabba, so they add clout, right? In making it well, it's it's because of Yo Gabba Gabba that they were able to make the Aquabats yeah. show, I think, because I know that they had tried a pilot before years earlier, which I've seen clips yes. from. It's okay, yeah, but there's that's no on YouTube. Yeah, there's no budget there. Uh, this is with real money, and even if when you hear about how much an episode costs, you're like, really, three hundred fifty thousand dollars an episode? That's shockingly low in this day and age. Yeah, well, um, I really want out of this show, and I'm, that I'm not getting. Yeah, um, the first season's nowhere I nearly as... To, I like the second season much be, better. I want them to be more tokusatsu in style of the, the credibility of costume, not their costumes. I don't care about their costumes. Their costumes are perfect for what they are. But all their monsters, all their creatures... They all really do look like people in suits, and I think that that's the appeal to them because they are, to like, Crash McLarson is the oldest one. He's in his fifties, but no uh, way. Christian, yeah, wow, he's like fifty-one. Christian uh, or MC Bat Commander is two years older than me. He's forty-six, so I understand that they like Godzilla, and what's uh, HR uh, Pop and stuff? Super, Who are those guys during the Super 70s? Inframan. Yes. Okay. That's uh, the Croft. Right. Sid and uh, Marty Croft. Sid and Marty Croft. The Croft brothers. That's actually more seems to be what it's like. The Croft brothers has infected their love for Japanese tokusatsu, and I just want the ta Japanese tokusatsu. Because remember, I grew up in part in Europe. Right. And what I saw over there was more Japanese stuff. And less American stuff. I didn't see HR Puppin stuff or the Bugaboos or anything like that. I saw Ultraman, and I loved it. But Ultraman still looked like it It wasn't. Now it looks terribly cheap, but at the time it didn't look cheap. So if you're going to try to match your memories and make it better, you make it better. That's my only issue, really, other than the timing of the jokes. There's that's, a lot of that's my thing, is the humor. Jokes um, that don't land. They seem like they they're, they've written some songs that are very funny and, and very... Um, well, uh, I just mentioned yeah. you don't even know, dude. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's the beginning of Pool Party. 
And Pool Party has amazing lyrics. It's well, so my, fun. My, my favorite is Hot Summer Nights, where he's that guy, he meets a girl in the mall, and she's like, sure, we'll go out on a date, and then it turns out the date's horrible, but he's completely oblivious, so he tries calling her again, and she calls, and it's like her uh, her cousin, but it's the same voice, and instead of Darlene, it's Laureen, and that she went away to Alaska, and he keeps calling throughout the song, and it's just like, now it's his twin cousin, he's like, I didn't know there was even twin cousins, and it's just, it's, it's like, so ridiculous, like, the guy is so myopic and clueless. Well, speaking of twin cousins, that's a Twin Peaks thing. Is it? Yes. Okay, I, haven't, I still haven't seen Twin Peaks. But the, the, yeah, the, the humor is. that's in their songs, there's a very particular vibe to all of it. And I don't feel it in the show, especially that first season. Like It's, it's just like High Five Soup where it's too baby down. It needs to be that fine it's... line. It needs to aim, instead of for six-year-olds, it needs to aim for 12 to 15 but maybe those kids are too cool, and that's a lesser audience you're going to get. But I always feel that's what the magic of why the Muppets work so well is because they were aiming right in the middle. The adults got some of the well, stuff. You know, the kids got some of the know, stuff. You know how Aquabat, not Aquabats, you know how Austin Powers is, right? Uh, yes. The first Austin Powers movie. Only the first. The first Austin Powers. <laughs> just, just, well, the first and third, actually. There's a lot of good stuff in the third one. I got to But I, yeah. the, second one's, the second one's terrible, we all know. But the first one. You're watching this thing, and you're like, oh, that's so stupid. But at the same time, you're laughing, right? Yeah. So it takes it takes really clever craftiness, a.k.a. brains, smarts, to do really funny stupid. And I think that's what the first one did really well. Second, not well at all. Well, the, sec one, the second one is because there's no script. Okay. You know there's no script okay. in the second Austin Powers. They're, they're winging it through sure. half that movie. That's what kills it for me. Right. So Aquabats, I don't know if they marinated with their jokes, if they sat with them long enough or too long even. Yeah. For for the execution of the at least the first series, the jokes to be so off beat and I don't mean off beat humor, I mean off rhythm. Rhythm, yeah. Like there's a there's a timing that they seem to be uh lagging on on those jokes but the second season the one that's on youtube right now has at least one episode is really funny where where bat commander all he does is start they they cut him off before he gets too long every time he speaks he all he's saying is pixies lyrics really great <laughs> well, there's really a lot great. of there's a lot of um horror and sci-fi homages throughout the second season too that i didn't notice as much in the first Sadly, I wasn't able to go back and watch the first one again. I haven't seen the first season in probably five years when it was on Netflix. Second one, all the episodes are on YouTube. Um, but there's Tremors um, jokes. There's, hey, tell uh, me what's the Tremors joke because I it's watched the one, them all and I, that one went by me. It's the one with Mark Mothersbaugh. Do you remember when they go um, – I want to see it. Oh, yeah. Crash yeah, McClarson yeah. goes to visit his dad. I think it's Crash. Yeah. yeah no, 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 it's, it's Jimmy the Robot. robot. Hi, yeah. Jaime the Robot. I always know him as Jaime the Robot because that's how they used to refer to him. Okay. But yeah, Jimmy the Robot. Um, the, yeah, it was that episode where his mom gets swallowed up by the worm and the worm goes underground or whatever and comes back up and he's got to take it apart with a chainsaw. I was almost – that you has to be a Tremors. Oh, my goodness. Yes, but I didn't see half of that episode, I guess. Oh, uh, okay. That's weird. Why didn't I see half I, of that I love episode? the fact that Mark Mothersbaugh was in that because, you know, he, it even says on their Wikipedia that it was a love letter to Devo. You know, how much fun and crazy yeah. they were during their early years. And, it kind uh, of validates your your uh, hint. Yeah. Like, there's something Devo about these guys. What was the other ones? I was saying that. It was like, I can't believe there's this reference and this reference. The thing. Like, the the thing. thing. Right. 
Um, there's a couple others. But yeah, it's just filled with homage. The second season is also the one that I think almost derailed the show because the hub was falling apart and they broke the season up. So there's all this momentum during the first season where they had all 10 episodes. I think it was 13 um, where they aired all together. Well, then they decided to air four for season two here, then two here, then one at Christmas, and a year later at Christmas. So the second season is spread out over almost three years. That's That wow. kills an audience, in my opinion. Right. Yes. Again, another Twin Peaks thing. They moved it from Sunday night to Wednesday night to Thursday night to yeah, Saturday. Yeah. It doesn't work. You lose the audience, and it lost me on Thursday. So, um, yeah, that's that's like firsthand. I'm I'm a witness to being lost as an audience member, but I didn't have hub when this stuff was no, going no. on. So. I, I caught a, maybe an episode or two one time when I was working, like at you know I was at work and there was a big TV in the lunchroom and no one was around. I was flipping channels. And I saw the Aquabats and I was like, oh my god, the Aquabats! I get to watch it. And then I'm trying to like get the other people in the room into it or whatever. And then you just hear that, what the hell are you watching? What kind of stupid crap is this? Crickets. Is this a baby channel? Because well, it's stupid. It's stupid crap, and it is kind of baby. I don't want to go, but I love the Aquabats. Why can't it be funny? I know, I know. See, I just want a better, tighter... You know what would be really funny? If Liam Lynch did this. He did uh, The Pick of Destiny. Um, And it seems that they might actually be heading that way. Uh, I think Rob Schrab even directed some episodes uh, before. Uh, Rob Schrab, who direct stuff for The Tick. Right, and he created uh, Scud. Yeah, he created Scud. He's a comic book artist and writer. And he did stuff for The Tick, and he did stuff for the TV show Ghosted. I don't know if you oh, saw yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I That's saw the pretty, pilot. It was good. It's pretty good, yeah. It's it's one of those chuckler shows. Um, it's not... It's disposable, absolutely disposable, which is ironic because uh, Scud, the disposable assassin. Oh, right, yeah. Rob, Rob Schrab created that. But his work is uh, delightfully disposable, and it's not in the worst way. Um, it just, it's a fun diversion. He did yeah. the Sarah Silverman show, too. Right. So if but, you have Rob Schrab, if, if the Aquabats you get comes Rob back, Schrab or yeah, Liam yeah. Lynch do it. You need to have you need someone those two with guys them. to work on it. Yeah, they need to have a very particular voice guiding them in the direction. Because right now, they're still just like middle of the road. And the only way for a show strange like this to keep going is to really lock into your voice instead of just like embrace uh, it. Yeah, and and become that really strong niche audience, like the kind of show where people are like, did you see this? This is okay, like Wonder Shows, and not for everybody by any means whatsoever. No, but everybody was talking about it. So some people okay. really really dug its humor, some people didn't, but it, it, people still talk about it for like you know, what's it been ten years now since that show debuted? You know, and it was only on yeah, for, what, 12 know, episodes? Yeah, you I wonder, <laughs> the original intent of this show was to bring a Saturday morning cartoon feel, but live action, to an audience. And I would have expected this show to end up on Adult Swim. Yeah, definitely. Something like something like that. Uh, like uh, The Geologist. What is that? Saul of the Mall Men is oh, yes, actually one yes. that I, I love. I love Saul of the Bowman, and it seems to be doing what the Aquabats really want to do, but better. And it doesn't have any of the Tokusatsu stuff. It's all Croft, the Sid Marty Croft style. Mm-hmm. But the humor is tight. Everything's dead on, super funny. I love how <laughs> the guy says, 
I'm a geologist. He's got the funny accent. Yeah. Uh, racks. Look at all these racks. Can you believe it? This place is covered in racks. Anyway, I love it. But <laughs> that, I think they should study. They should study that thing. Because that's exactly what MC Bat Commander does. Also, let's talk about the characters real quick. MC Bat Commander, he's always a total screw-up, and I kind of love it. Yeah. All the other characters have have these kind of endearing characteristics <laughs> well i think uh, i think Fit- the hero of this really is ego bones Ta- uh, was it evil ego e- bones falcon hawk bones. <laughs> you just screwed me up yes i think it is eagle bones falcon hawk yes he's eagle almost bones, the main he's almost the main character because he seems to save the day he's more the voice than of reason yeah he's spock dude he's he's their spock okay yeah even though they have i made the robot i made the robot is much more like data or jimmy the robot sorry so Christian Jacobs back commander is MC back commander is a total screw up and he's very arrogant and cocky and the hero or not necessarily the hero, but the voice of reason seems to be Eagle bones, Falcon Hawks, the long haired skinny guy who actually I had never heard of until the show. Actually, most of these guys, Jimmy crash McLarson and Cap Bat Commander are the only guys I know of. Right, it's almost uh, like a whole know. new cast from when you were really Ricky into Fitness. it. Yeah. Right, Ricky Fitness. I never knew of that guy. He's the drummer. Yeah, and Ricky Fitness like, is like uh, the Robin to um, MC Bat Commander's uh, Batman. Well, no, I would say I would actually say Eagle Bones is Eagle Bones is the guy that's always he always agrees with Bat Commander. Bat Commander's like that was really cool. Uh, snow cone or whatever and eagle bones is like yeah it was wasn't it always like references like that so that's what i would put him but ricky fitness is ricky fitness he's a fit guy and he plays drums and uh i made jimmy the robot sorry i always call him jaime uh jimmy the robot is uh android so and crash they all have very just what'd you say you, you didn't mention crash he's like the yeah, uh well, the big gonna, lunk i was gonna cr- yeah I was going to get there. And Crash McLarson, they all have these very um, distinct characteristics. And Crash is the big weakling, <laughs> if you can think of it that way. Yeah. Uh, the get only time emotional. that he gets, he gets strong is when he says, I'm getting emotional. Yeah, you just said emotional. So he gets huge and he turns into a giant, uh, a giant like uh, Godzilla size. And that's fun. All these <laughs> things are fun. But I think you're right that Eagle Bones is the one that's always like, now, fellas, here's an idea. Plus, it's cool that he has that, com- that powerful guitar. Like, I always just think it's cool. Oh, yeah, his guitar shoots electricity. So, um, yeah, that's always good. I just wanted, I just want more Tukosatsu, like, actual, like, it's the design of the costumes is that what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mine's the humor. I just want it to be funnier. Well, actually, I want two things. So I want the costumes for the bad guys to be legit tokusatsu awesome stuff. Um, Most that people know around here is Power Rangers and Masked Rider. And that's not exactly what I'm talking about. There are other shows that are tokusatsu that have much better character designs and costuming. Just look at those and rip them off. Rip them off. 
Even or, or just have just the Mexican wrestler thing. The yeah, like like that sort of thing. Um, some of the Aquabats reminds me of uh, Jamie Hewlett had a show called Get the Freebies, which was turned into Foo Action. Huh. I Jamie never heard Hewlett, of the show. BBC? He's the creator. Yeah, he's the creator of the Gorillas and co-creator of the Tank Girls, and co-creator of the Gorillas too. And um, he created Whitey Action and Terry Fu, uh, unlikely duo, crime fighter duo, uh, going after the freebies. But that thing also didn't quite work as a TV show pilot. Fu Action. It's probably on YouTube by now. Uh, but. It still seems more focused than what the Aquabat Super Show does. And really, this isn't like a let's poop on Aquabat Super Show. This is let's encourage them. <laughs> let's get more focus. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that's very I'm very passionate about. As you can tell, because I posted about it like 50 times. Um, there's some yeah, band, there's really some bands. I am. There's some bands that just speak to me, and I want to see them successful. And it seems like every time, it just like, I'm trying to think of any band that really got into that was truly successful. Like, they didn't just have their one moment in the light. Like, they had a whole career. And I just, maybe that's why I'm passionate about them, is because they had that one little brief thing, you know, like Harvey Danger, Devo. Um, maybe Oingo Boingo, I think they said they had more success, but... Um, Oingo Boingo was really successful, but outside of California, you so only much. knew yeah. about them in the movies. Right. Um, yeah, I just can't really think of a whole lot of bands that were very successful that I'm passionate about. I'm like, yeah, they put out another great album. Cool, I'll own it. But I'm not like, this is a thing that I'm pushing for. I want to see you know, more out of. It's just like, oh, whatever. Maybe Weezer, maybe. But they put out so much stuff that I almost want them to go away now. No, Weezer's not good anymore. Yeah. I'm on record now. It's like, I worked for Weezer, too. I did graphic design for their Lunchbox. Yeah. And that was around the Green album. And that was right when they started going the corporate rock. Way, right. I would say the is, first three albums are the ones that everyone was passionate about. And then after that, I just kind of stopped yeah. caring, you know, back yeah. to the shack. Really? Is well, that what you want to sing about? <laughs> they had to uh, fulfill a contract. They had 14 albums that they had to put out. Holy crap. That's a huge they, contract. Yeah. I think they had to, I think he eventually bought them out or something. Um, bought them back and so now they're putting stuff out on their own but i still don't really like most of what they do like off of every album there's like only one or two songs that i like other than those first two albums yeah and the b-sides between the first two albums are all amazing so suzanne that's like three yeah three albums worth of great stuff yeah between just, those two albums so yeah i think that's what it is about the aquabats they have a very particular voice that i because i'm a huge comp guy i love retro television and they have a sound i like i'm a big ska fan um turns out that you and i may be the only people left because no one ever says it in a positive <laughs> manner like i mean how many conversations have we had about oh god why do people hate smash mouth that much why do they hate real big fish that much they're just like they really hate also i'm ska. going on record right now and say look the audience is what determines what sucks and sometimes the audience is the thing that sucks could so be. Smash Mouth, the audience, is probably the thing that sucks about Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth, the band, doesn't really suck. In fact, they make some pretty dang catchy music. So as juvenile as uh, the Aquabats present themselves to be, they often get an audience that is really attracted to that, 
which also may push people away. Their music, their music is a hoot. Yeah, and it's they're fun. not cool. Especially, they're not. They're not gonna. You're not yeah, gonna show. Up, you're not gonna show up at a Aquabats concert with a bunch of like, oh, these are the coolest guys in town. You know, you're gonna get families. <laughs> that's that's their niche, though. It's the same thing with Devo. When I went to Devo, it was a sold out show. I mean, that place was huge and it was packed. It was the Wonder Ballroom in Portland, and um, tons of families, and they're all wearing Devo costumes. It's it's an event. It's basically like a musical version of Comic Con. Here's the thing that bothers me: every single year at Comic Con, it's the same BS. Oh, we all get to stand around the dirt merchant part while we wait in line to get an autograph from someone and pay way too much for it. It's always sure. the same thing. Why are they not like changing it up? Why are they not bringing in bands? Why not finish out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday show with a band that has a has a built-in audience with that kind of the, vibe? They do stuff, but that's usually either like a, a side promo or an after-hours promo. Just, it's not necessarily promoted by comic-con but it's yeah. in tandem too there like are things should. like that but yeah. it's not comic-con promotion yeah i just feel like there's something better to be done than just panels and signings at these comic cons because let's be frank it's not even about comic books really anymore go around a convention these days and see all these great artists and writers that change the comic book world that you love there's nobody at their booth and they're just like kind of yeah, thumbing it's away just crickets. yeah it's just terrible crickets Giant crickets are at their booth, just standing around, yeah. eating on their paper. <laughs> <laughs> like leaves, you know? All right. That's so, my comic book paper, crickets. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I said, check out their Kickstarter. We are the Aquabats. We never mentioned, uh, who's the dude from Blink-81? Uh, Blink-81. Blink-182. <laughs> that was All right, original I'll, I'll tell you how this happened. So, the Aquabats were playing a show in San Diego with Blink-182, and the Aquabats and Blink-182 had developed a, a fine relationship by that time. They knew each other. But the original Blink-182 drummer was something of a, a drinker, I'll say, and he was sloppy and either was late or didn't show, and they went to the Aquabats and said, we don't have, our drummer's not here, and we're headlining this thing because they were the hugest thing in San Diego for a very long time. And so Travis Barker, who was the drummer for the Aquabats, he sat in and he clicked immediately with them as far as playing the drums. And that's how he became the third member of Blink-182. And so the Aquabats got another drummer, which yeah. is right now Ricky Fitness. The uh, That's between – I just remember watching the video What with the uh, – um... Uh, growing up, the one from uh, Can't Hardly Wait. I remember seeing the video for that and not seeing Travis Barker there. So it must have been around 99 when that happened. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Okay. I really don't know. I just know that behind-the-scenes story. The uh, uh, Is there anything you want to plug before we go? Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to see the old drawing that I redrew for this podcast, uh, you can go to Jumetsko, uh or at Jumetsko. G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O on Instagram or even look it up on YouTube and same thing at Twitter at Jemetsko that artwork's there so alright and you can check out our other podcast Video Night which is up on the Retro Rocket Entertainment Network we're on Facebook Twitter um, we're in your backyard staring at you through the window don't look shh 
No. We're recording I it. I am not. <laughs> I am not. You're a creep. I, I am. am. All I'm doing is just staring at going, listen to our show. Listen, you will do what I say. Open the window and hit play. Oh. <laughs> okay. At least it's that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you thought I was going to take it somewhere dark. No. Um, I, I was hoping you weren't. No, I wasn't. Thank all you. Right. Um, hey, kids, check us out on Facebook. Nice all. Good night. Good night. Everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. We're finally doing another episode. It's been a couple months, and we swear from here on out until the end of the show, it's pretty much going to be go, go, go once every at least two weeks, not every once, you know, once every two months. I'm um, your host, Michael. Jacob's on the other side. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, everybody? And when you say go, go, uh, do you mean like, you know, we got the beat go, go's? Uh, <laughs> well, like the Teen uh, Titans go, go. Oh, yeah, that could be a good – that's a good one to go to the movies. That's what they do. Yeah, so – Evidently, it's it, – It did okay. Uh, it cost $10 million, so that's a smart move by WB. Um, opened at $10 million. I imagine it's going to, you know, probably end around triple in that, you know, maybe 30 maybe 40 So that's good. Yeah. And the rest of it on video and, you know, and streaming is going to be, you know, profit. Oh, definitely, for sure. Plus, I mean, with all the movies coming out this weekend, it, it was a smart move not to, you know, be all big budgeted and push it out there like, you know, every other uh, animation company would do. Right. this Cage finally get to play Superman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's counter-programming. I'm, I'm, uh, so, so obviously, we just had the uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and I'm curious about some of the stuff they revealed over the last couple weeks leading up to it. And uh, uh, so... They said that uh, John Mulaney is being added to uh, the Spider-Man multiverse. What's, what's the name again? Spider-Man Galaxies? No. Into the multiverse? Into the multiverse. Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Thank you. I'm fucking an idiot. Uh, that he's playing Spider-Ham, which was a big favorite of mine when I was a kid because Star Comics back in the 80s uh, mostly were kid-oriented comic books. They would do like the Ewoks and droids. They did the Master Universe cartoons. So we had Top Dog, um, but they did a parody of Spider-Man called the Incredible, Sp- the Spectacular Spider-Ham, which has almost been completely forgotten over the last thirty years. Right. Uh, there was a little reference to him in uh, this uh, Spider-Man video game, Spider- uh, Shattered Dimensions, where you could play four different Spider-Man across the, uh, you know, multiverse, helping Madame Web piece it back, back together by. Uh, assembling this tablet and uh yeah there was a little uh glimpse at spider-ham at um during uh neil patrick harris's uh, amazing spider-man segment he's like oh come on really <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no and then uh i think in the trailer spider-man did sh- spider-ham did show up and uh show up like right at the end of the latest one and my god i'm like oh they're going full-on batshit animated with this <clears throat> which is good oh excuse me because lately what they've done, like, you know, in a lot of the Spider-Man movies, besides Homecoming, there's always been, uh, it's been a little too dark, hasn't been as fun. 
Oh, but uh, minus, you know, Sam Raimi's, those have just gotten really campy and have not aged well. No. But still, no, it's good to see a little bit more of a comic relief. However, um, as far as it goes for... Uh, as far as it goes for uh, a Warner Brothers animation, I know they're uh, rele- they they are releasing uh, uh, Death of Superman soon, but they've also uh, started working on Reign of the Superman. So we're going to see oh, that cool. whole series come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I know. I saw a trailer for it too. I'm like, finally, Eradicator, Cyborg, Superboy, Steel, all getting some limelight. Jeez, if only that was executed. Uh, one, uh, uh, if only that was executed by the uh, live action films. The, no. yeah. uh, did you see the trailer for Disenchanted, Matt Groening's new uh, show for Netflix? Actually, I have. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I mean, he's done so far with, like, you know, the family sitcom. Now he's taken on the whole sci-fi aspect. Now he's doing fantasy. It was only a matter of time, man. Yeah, it's just the animation doesn't look as strong as it has been. I'm wondering if Netflix gave him a much lower budget or it's just the preview didn't work right. Because it looked really flat, and um, I don't know if it's intentional, but it looked almost hand-painted, if that makes any sense. It's a digital color. Mm, I don't know. I think it might have to be... It might have been... might have been just due to the trailer. We'll just have to wait and see until it comes out on Netflix. Yeah. But, also, trailers I'm really excited for, October 26th, which is right around Halloween time, and I think it's the perfect release time for Season 2 of Castlevania. Oh, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I haven't watched the first season of you. Yes, I have. Uh, it was originally supposed to be a movie years ago, but they kind of rehashed it. We worked um, we worked the script around and turned it into an animated series. And my God, did they do such a great job. Like, you... all, all drawn, no CG, nothing computer generated about it, all hand drawn. And it stays true to the story of um, Castlevania Three. They went with that story arc. Return oh. of Belmont has to recruit, um, you know, allies to help take on a uh, Dracula. Yeah. And one of them being uh, Alucard, who's Dracula's uh, half half vampire son, who was like one of the most popular characters in the entire series, and Sophia Belnads, which uh, again another ally of his who's like a witch and uses magic. This is gonna oh man, it just looks amazing. And again, the voice acting's uh, top notch. Uh, you got Graham McTavish is Dracula. You've got. Um, Gosh, I I can't believe I'm forgetting who it is. Uh, he was the voice of he played Thorin in uh, the Hobbit trilogy. Thor. Thorin. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Thorin. No. The dwarf King. Damn it! No, hold on. Okay. Michael, distract him. <laughs> is he the dude from uh, Fast Six? No, 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 no. Not Luke no, Evans. Not, okay. Not Luke Evans. No. Okay, so while he's looking, uh, the other shows that got uh, discussed over at SDCC is uh, Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Breakout, and the new Black Panther's Quest animated series. I did not know about that. I didn't know Marvel was uh, still kicking up uh, animated uh, series. Yeah, I was actually surprised myself. Resistance is coming out soon, but uh, no new news about that. We just have to wait. Rocco's Modern Life is getting a special this Christmas. Um, Rocco's Modern Life is Static Cling. Oh, okay. And then there's... Oh. Oh. Gosh. Oh, yeah, Rugrats. Isn't that supposed to be getting rebooted? Yeah. The, uh, the Vader Zim movie is coming soon. Oh, yes. 
Did you see? Him. Did you see the animation for Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Like, it looks like shit. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these look bad. That that whole Thundercats thing look awful. The the Shira doesn't look bad though. Oh yeah, the new Shira. No, but um, the Thundercats. I was like, they really went full Steven Universe with this one. Like, why? I don't get it, dude. I know it's like Cartoon Network is just like, oh screw it, we'll just hire the same animator, so it'll be cheaper. Uh, they are releasing Batman the Complete Series uh, from 1992 yes. through 98 with the two movies, Mask of the Phantasm and Sub-Zero. Along with, uh, oh, uh, some Funko Pop, uh, Funko Pops as well. I'm oh, yeah? A box set. I would give it. Yeah, Good. I'm just yelling Warner Brothers, shut up and take my money! <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also, uh, Teen Titans, uh, the original series from, like, what, mid-2000s is actually uh, getting a new season. Now this says Teen Titans Go is getting renewed, which is the one that I hate. Are you are you thinking Young Justice? No. Okay. No, like original Teen Titans, like with um, Ron Perlman as Slade. That one, that series. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't. I, I gotta watch them. I'm so far behind on any cartoons. It's actually kind of annoying. Oh. The guy's name is Richard Armitage. He's the one. Oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the one that was in the non-Twister, but clearly a, a sequel to Twister, Into the Storm. How is it not That's Twister? It. It's from the same damn studio. It's the same kind of plot. <laughs> I don't know, because I thought that... I don't know. I just don't know. Oh, it is all a mysterious fig. Uh, anything else from San Diego that we should mention that has to be animation-oriented? Mm. I feel like I'm missing something big. Grr. I'm a tinkin', I'm a tinkin', and I'm tinkin', and nothing comes to mind. <laughs> All right, so this episode we're gonna we're gonna go back, we're gonna go back in time, and we're gonna work our way up through uh, through the you know the 60s, 70s, 80s until now. Um, over the what we got 14 episodes left until the end of the series, and uh, so we're gonna go all the way back. We're gonna discuss Tom and Jerry. Well, hold on. Oh, yeah, we're maybe maybe we won't back. go streamlined because I forgot. We, we skipped over Fleischer, and uh, we mean him discuss this. I'm not talking about Betty Boop. I'm never going to talk about Betty Boop. The only thing that's interesting about Betty Boop is the fact that there's still tons of merchandising, and yet, and yet, no cartoon for like 50 years. Well, that, and there was also a, uh, a funnier die parody with Rose McGowan as Betty Boop. It was pretty funny. That doesn't mean there's going to be a ton of merchandise because of that. I don't get why it's taken off so well. Uh, Popeye, I thought, was its own thing because when I was a kid, there was a cool cartoon called Popeye and Sons. There was an animated special about 10 years ago written by Paul Reiser. So I thought that was a whole thing. We could watch the Robin Williams movie, even though it's a struggle, even though it's the very first movie I ever saw in the theater. I tried watching it recently, and I was like, oh, boy. I know, and it's a Robert Altman film, too. I'm like, That's the problem. It looks beautiful, but it's boring. <laughs> I told you they screwed me up. And, you know, instead of my movie, you know what Sony went with? They went with fucking emoji movie. Nah. Yeah, Jenny Tarskowski, you better have it. Fucker's arms off. <laughs> um, I was trying to do the other stuff we're probably going to skip. Uh, we already did the Superman cartoons from Fleischer, so that's pretty much out of there. Uh, not really going to discuss the eye of, of iWorks. Okay, so I want to stop, stop right now. Um, 
this episode is not going to be for the hardcore fans. That's This is why I usually don't do the classic animation, because it's been exhausted. People have discussed this over and over. There have been tons of books about it, but if I didn't do it, I'd feel ashamed. But if you are a hardcore animation fan, you should probably skip over this right now before your brain explodes. This is more about the newbies, the people who have never really explored this world. And that's kind of what you and I have been as an animation archaeologist, not just for other people, but for ourselves. Um, I know right. Tom and Jerry fairly well. I, for a long time, I was going to write a book on animation. And this is like 15, 16 years ago. I was really into it. And then I just changed my mind when I read all these books on animation and everything I could tell you was already covered. So it was pointless. But I watched a ton of the older cartoons, the Golden Age. And uh, I haven't revisited them since. Right. I will say this. Um, looking back, seeing, you know, pretty much like every time I'd watch uh Tom and Jerry, there'd always be like a different intro. Sometimes I'd see the MGM or I'd see like the Hanna-Barbera logo uh, on Boomerang or something or early in the morning before my hardcore shows were on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would notice uh, the animation and the uh, design would look a little different. Oh, the, the ones that are playing currently today, the, uh, the newer versions, the ones that you've uh, sent to me, uh -huh. they actually still hold true to the uh, Hanna-Barbera style than they do the MGM. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's hold on. So it's it's kind of confusing for some people who don't know the world very well. Warner, uh, Hanna Barbera always worked for MGM, but through the years, MGM would change the title cards. It would give it more money, and things would change throughout time. So real quickly, MGM ran the studio with Hanna Barbera, um, you know, ma mainly doing the Tom and Jerry cartoons, and there was a few little spinoffs. There was Barney Bear, which I sent you a couple cartoons of. And then there was a lot of Tex Avery cartoons, and most of those were one-offs. Um, there was Screwy Squirrel in there. I totally forgot to say you Screwy Squirrel. Son of a bitch. Screwy Squirrel was uh, MGM's version of Woody Woodpecker. Um, I actually really, really love it. It's another Tex Avery cartoon. We did do a Tex Avery episode, uh, what, three years ago? So we're not going to discuss any of those. Right. I will say this, though. As far as it goes for um, Tom and Jerry, yeah, uh... Even watching the uh, latest cartoons, they still hold that slapstick. They still don't talk, yeah. which is great. Give them anonymity, just like Link in Legend of Zelda, <clears throat> the uh, actual video game, not the cartoon. Fuck the cartoon. <laughs> but, um, yes, uh, they still up to their little wacky antics. They're still, um, well, one's trying to kill the other. The other one's trying to defend itself and, you know, tricking each other. So, yeah, it still holds up very well. It's... And it also is still it's still a cartoon. Laws of physics do not have to apply. Yeah. Like at all. <laughs> um great. So during the Tom and Jerry run, uh, I think you get the first initial where Hanna Barbera were kind of figuring out their style and, and color and how they made animation would evolve. I, I feel like the perfect era is the fifties. Because the first decade, I feel like the color just kind of doesn't work for me. The, the design, you know, the design was evolving, especially the very early ones where Tom was pretty friggin' ugly. Oh, are you talking about the ones with the uh, MGM logo, uh, the MGM intro? Uh, well, they're all they're all, they're all MGM. They're all owned by MGM, but the logo, you're right, would would change. Um, this is back when they had Mammy Two Shoes. Which a lot of those are ignored now because people view them as racist. There's a lot of racism in animation, even up to like the 60s, maybe early 70s. And people have oh. trouble acknowledging a lot of it. Oh, God, yes. Oh God. It reminds me of uh, this band uh, cartoon of Betty Boop and Popeye crossover. 
uh, Popeye's uh, taking olive oil to uh, you know a little sea, uh, a boardwalk fair that's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's this one uh, game where uh, he's he's taking this he takes his like hands and he's just like you know flexing his muscles to throw the balls at this little moving target. And it turned out to be a uh, it turned out to be a human being, a man of color with uh, goggles and a helmet on. And of course, uh, and then it like gave the history of what that game was, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" My, uh, oh my god! Like it, it was called like uh, some people just straight up called it like, in my language, "Hit the Negro" or something like that. Oh my god! Wow! What the hell? Yeah, yeah things are so just kind of fucked up back then. Oh god! Yeah, no, it's like they didn't give a shit. It's like, oh well, uh, at the time, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean it was right. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Jeez. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Oh, that, that's not good. Let's not go there. Yeah, the <laughs> um, I kind of like the ones very early on when it wasn't just driven by the stunts, uh, you know, beating the crap out of each other. I kind of like the ones where he was trying to be in a, a romantic relationship and Jerry was somehow screw it up for him. Anybody who gets, by the way, anybody gets who confused on which one's Tom, which one's Jerry, you're you're a moron because clearly Tomcat, dude. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Mouse. I mean, they even say that as they introduce the char- as they introduce the characters yeah. long, long ago. Mm. But yes, uh, yeah, uh, there was one episode in particular where uh, Tom did even create like uh, he tried to uh, coerce or trap Jerry, and he, by using this little like pretty little mouse robot, but it ended up turning on Tom and loving Jerry. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> the, and there was there was a rival. God, I can't for life remember what it was. But um, there was a rival Looney Tunes cartoon with the two cats or the two mice, and one was really really stupid. Kind of reminded me of Pinky and the Brain. Um, and they always had the cat trying to like, try to get rid of them, whatever. But I remember one was always talking like Brain. It's like, well, yeah, you do, Shy. <laughs> I don't ever recall that. God, what the, the fuck were the two the mouse? mouse? I'm gonna look this up. Speedy Gonzalez was the only cat that I knew. Of. Was the only mouse that I knew of. Yeah, I feel bad. And then there was a. Uh... Oh yeah. Oh, Hubie oh, and no, Birdie. Hubie and Birdie. They were in a like I feel like six or seven of those cartoons. They're very funny, but they're kind of ignored because they weren't one of the main mascots. But I do believe they show up in Space Jam. Yeah, probably. Oh, I'll have to rewatch Space Jam. It's been so long. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Tom and Jerry. It, it was not Jerry. originally Tom and Jerry. It was uh, Jasper. And Jinx. Yeah, but Jasper. Yeah. Jasper and Jinx. Mm, I don't nope. know. Those both sound too catty. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but Jasper, I just didn't think hold, hold up enough. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the the original format that these were shot in, which a lot of animation was shot in before, like, 1950, whatever, like, 53, 55. You know, it was that square, just like a television. But I really enjoy oh, yeah. the fact that they would do it in super wide, you know, CinemaScope, stuff like that, which I think is 2.35. I can't remember, maybe 2.5, something like that, but really, really wide, and they redid a lot of their cartoons that way. I mean, it saved on story, because they're going to spend all that extra money, you know, doing a wider frame, and, uh, but they're, they're majestic, they're so beautiful. Yeah, and also, as far as, like, uh, saving on story, it's like, what more story do you need? A cat wants to kill a mouse. <laughs> it's, like, going on since the dawn of time. <laughs> well, there, there was other things they would add to the series to keep it from getting boring. I really like the ones where they go in the past as the uh, three musketeers, 
And uh, then they added Spike and Tyke. Uh, there's Butch, um, who was like this kind of badass cat who was always rivaling with Tom over a woman. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, I do remember that other cat. Oh, did he have like a top hat on? Or yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, I do remember that. And then Jerry would be like, you know what? I'm your friend for today. Screw that guy. <laughs> I'm not letting you go down that road, man. <laughs> I know we have our differences all the damn time, but not today. Not today, my friend. Oh, man. Eyes. I ate so much candy before we started recording because I thought I needed a sugar rest because I just got sugar. Now I'm kind of like sick to my – or just got off. I can't even talk. Ah! I wanted a sugar rush because I just got off work. And so I went from sick stomach to now it's starting to kick in and it's starting to feel good. I know. It's like, are you going to hook yourself up and, you know, power up a neuron capacitor? <laughs> how powerful you feel? Good. Um, so the <laughs> peak of animation is probably around 50, 51. That's when everything started going wider and the, the budgets were really high. But, you know, I think a lot of these companies, when they put this stuff on television is when it started to damage the box office. Why go to the theater? Which wasn't even the main focus of going to the theater. It was always the add-on. And uh, why do that when you can watch them on television? So, yes, there was still some sort of financial gain by putting a cartoon in front of a movie. But, you know, you could start seeing that the decreases of box office from television was hurting it. So, therefore, you had to cut back on the budget. Which I think is part of the reason why Hanna-Barbera probably bailed. You know, they thought, well, you know, it, it's getting really, really tight. And we can just go do this on television for just a little bit less. We don't have to be in control of everything. We can, like, just hire a team. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, now Hanna-Barbera, their whole catalog is legendary for television. Oh, God, yes. I mean, shoot, you wouldn't have to... I mean, anybody who, like, loved cartoons, you know, would be able to name... Would pretty much be able to sing along with, you know, the Flintstones or Jet... Well, maybe not Jetsons. There's not too many uh, Jetsons. Uh, not too much lyrics to the Jetsons. No, uh, but, but there was that... Uh, uh, everybody knows, get me off this crazy thing. They, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they'd be able to hum the tune to, like, a bunch of classics. Maybe not Jabberjaw. <laughs> I can't no. even remember Jabberjaw. I can't even remember. Uh, maybe the uh, 90s uh, Cartoon Network uh, uh, little song that they did in between, you know, before like a uh, before a new uh, show would come on. After the previous one, they'd play like this little 90s rock uh, um, little tribute to Jabberjaw. It's like the entire cast of Jabberjaw, like, you know, in modern animation, just sing along. You know, who's going to save the world? Who's going to save the day? You know, this and that. I'm like, save the world? Whoa, he's a shark. If he... Come on. <laughs> Let's step back a bit here. I know. I'm like, I'm creating something in the song as I'm trying to, like, you know, remember it. <laughs> Shit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, MGM shut down the studio in 57. I, I think it's funny. You look at it here. May 15th is when they shut it down. And uh, Hanna-Barbera started up their production company July 7th, which probably means they just had to close up shop. And then I don't know if they rented out space or they had to move to their own. But, you know, that, that was great for Hanna-Barbera because they kept their team together. And, yes, they were going to make less money and they are going to have to probably work more, but they all still had jobs. True. I mean, as far as it goes for, like, Hanna-Barbera Slate, I mean, they were still rolling, rolling along with Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest for a little while until it got rebooted back in the 90s. Yeah. And then there was... But that was still oh, them. So you're talking from 57... Yeah. Till probably 97, they still had their hand in animation. That's a long-ass time. 
Oh, about, yeah, about 40 years, damn. And without them, you wouldn't have Ruby Spears because those guys were working for Hanna-Barbera and then they went off on their own in the 70s. Right, and what was Ruby Spears most notable for? Um, well, I mean, I know mostly for Pac-Man, but they always like the lesser runs. Ruby Spears, um, they're always doing like these TV adaptations of, I don't even know, I'm saying this and it sounds insane, but like they did a cartoon for Mr. T, they did the Chuck Norris show, Emmanuel, not Emmanuel Lewis, uh, Gary Coleman had an animated series. Um, Ruby Spears was always like the yeah, lesser yeah. then, but you still had a ton of stuff. Let me see what they're most well-known. I thought that they did a did they Smurfs. Do, did they do the Jackson 5? They, I don't think they were on their own yet. Let me look at see what their most famous stuff is. Oh my god! Well, uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Google says Laser Tag Academy, a show that was on for 13 seasons. No, that is not true. <laughs> Laser Tag Academy. What? Oh, okay, no, so, so did, uh, Ruby and Spears. Just a side note here: they started off with Hanna Barbera as sound editors, and then would start writing for Space Ghost and Herculoids. They developed Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Um, they also worked for the Patty Freeling uh, Enterprises, which did cartoons for MGM uh, later in mm. the 70s. Uh, I'm trying to see what they're most well-known. A lot of really obscure stuff. They did the Plastic Man cartoon show, Thunder the Barbarian, Rubik the Amazing Cube, Mega Man, Police <laughs> Academy, The 88 Superman, yes. Centurion, Sectars, oh, Alvin the Chipmunks. Alvin the Chipmunks, that's probably their biggest thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, especially with the, uh, what, 80s, 90s... Uh rebooted Falcon and the Chipmunks. Oh, uh, that was the one I'd watch all the time. Dude, dude, Now the theme song's stuck in my head. We still, we've, never, we've never done that either. We've never done uh, the Chipmunks. Holy shit. Okay, no, okay, we gotta do that and discuss their films yeah. as well. Yeah, as we work our way up through time. Uh, so, in 61, they re uh, reinvigorated the series uh, by hiring uh, Gene Deitch. I'm gonna say it wrong, I'm sure. Um, kind of a outsider. He would work for UPA, um, which didn't really do cartoons about mascots. They always had humans, except for Mr. Magoo and Gerald McBoing Boing. They really weren't violent-oriented. So when Gene Deitch took over for Tom and Jerry, that, that it was really strange. I don't like the animation style. I don't think they're funny. I don't think they're action-packed. They're done in a very, very cheap way because they were done over in Czechoslovakia, of all places. Oh, wow. Czechoslovakia. Where the Funstrunk brothers are from. <laughs> Two wild and crazy wild guys. guys. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, I didn't know this. Oh, my God. Okay, so the animation budget breakdown usually worked like this. Disney would do theirs from 75000 to to $100,000 for a short. Very expensive. Oh, wow. They really, that's why they're so lavish. Then Looney Tunes was somewhere uh, underneath it. You know, I think when they topped out, they were around 60000 Uh Hanna-Barbera, MGM was next. Theirs usually ran around forty to 50000 And it says when Gene Deitch took over, they were at a budget of $10,000. What the hell? That is even less Whoa. than Terry Tunes, which is coming up next in this episode. That, that's ex oh, that is terrible. Yeah, I know. I was about to say that uh, when we discussed Terry Tunes, but... Um... Yeah, no, 10000 for Tom and Jerry? It's crazy, but they said uh -huh. they were successful. But of course they're going to be successful because when you go from a $50,000 budget to a $10,000 budget, they're going to make some money. So yes, uh, I mean, it doesn't mean it was any good. <laughs> I know, I mean, just look at the Transformers movies. <laughs> well, they were actually more successful at the box office than the Looney Tunes cartoons. That's 
fucked up. Oh, sadly. Yeah, I mean, not to not to disparage him because his his style of animation. I've seen some of his other stuff is decent, but when it comes to Tom and Jerry, you expect a very particular style and energy, and he just didn't have it. Yeah, I felt like it did lack a little bit in most key areas, and honestly, to me, Tom looked like he was on drugs the entire time like he's just been so sick of this shit he's just like oh whatever i'm getting <laughs> high like, jerry i'm getting high i got some ma- i got some really good catnip damn it if it makes it, it turns all my bad feelings into good feelings uh so he you know they were like go after one year's worth of animation and then they went to chuck jones you know like the king of animation during this time period i mean tex avery i could say was uh, maybe you know for battling for that throne, but by this time he had gone into retirement. So it's Chuck Jones, man. He just owned this whole thing, and oh, wow. he had been let go by Warner Brothers Studio because they no longer saw a profit in it. And uh, I think they would do like a, a couple dozen more um, like independent hires from DePatty Freeling, which aren't very good. Um, so Chuck Jones did, I think, three years worth of animation they're really really uh beautiful to look at and they're fun to watch the only thing is i just don't find them funny Mm, no not as funny i think it's probably one of the reasons uh could be another one of the reasons why one of us would let him go it's like yeah you just i'm just not as happy as i as i as i was when i watched the old episodes i look at this and i i'm saddened (laughs) i'm saddened even more i have to let you go chuck Sorry, Charlie. Yeah, and plus the budgets must have been higher. There's no way that they were, Chuck Jones would even touch anything that cost $10,000. I'm probably going to say probably about 35000 and he's cutting his cost. See, what I noticed is is Chuck Jones is in charge, but he doesn't direct all of them. They just ape his style. Um, I believe Maurice Noble came in and did a few of those, uh, who was most notable for doing so many of those beautiful abstract artwork backgrounds. You know, in, in the uh, classic uh, uh, Roadrunner and... Uh, Wiley Coyote cartoons, you know, all that design work is Maurice Noble. Oh, that's why, I mean, that's kind of why I felt like it had the same style of animation. Just like with, um, you know, that little cartoon in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire at the beginning when Robin Williams is lending his voice to that little animated short. I I have never seen the movie. I've never seen Mrs. Doubtfire. I know, (gasps) I know. You have to clap, or else I'll die. Or you have to clap, or else I'll die. Just like the fairies in Peter Pan. Come on, Michael. God damn it. No. Okay. No. Okay, okay, okay fine. Okay, fine, all right. Enough. Uh, and, and the reason... Sorry, I, I, the story, the structure is good. It's just the jokes for some reason don't hit, which is so weird because this is almost the same exact team that did the Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote cartoons. Michael Maltese, the guy who wrote all those great cartoons during that era, is also one of the main writers on this. And it just doesn't work. I don't know. It's like you think there's like so much talent, but the chemistry is just not there. Just like that. Um, I uh, oh god, I can't remember his name, but he was just brought in to take over for a uh, write for Man of Steel at DC Comics. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, people are saying like it's kind of lackluster. It's going back to like the same thing. And that's why everyone's thinking Man of Steel's in tr- this whole Man of Steel storyline at uh, DC's in trouble. So, yeah, like great talent, great work before, but sometimes the chemistry's just not there. You have to go somewhere else. Yeah. 
Yet to find a new formula. Uh, in the 70s, Hanna-Barbera would get another shot at Tom and Jerry on a much, much lower budget. They created 48 uh, new shorts, which they would combine with the Grape Ape show uh, and the Mumbly show. I could not figure out which ones were theirs. I, I, I just had trouble finding it. ran for two years, um, but I couldn't find any for you and I to watch. So that's not really going to be discussed here. Filmation, the American company that would do some of the shittiest cartoons in history, except Masters of the Universe, basically, and uh, Brave Star. Uh, they took over for a little bit in the 80s. Um, I'm sure that had to have been shit. There's no way. Possibly, yeah. I will, I do have to ask, though, that one episode of Tom and Jerry, there was the one with this, uh, this duckling who's, like, uh, trying to accept death. And even uh, he and, uh, even before Tom's about to eat him, he's like, hey, mister, aren't you going to eat me? Go right ahead. And then Tom just gets so smitten with guilt and sadness he can't eat this duckling and he starts crying which um who was in charge of it at the time that was hannah barbera that was during i think the 50s when they were getting kind of really dark and weird i can't remember what the stupid duck's name is i don't either but my god that, that duck was just so adorable <laughs> the, the uh time, so sad he just wants to die what the hell so some people know, some people don't know that there was a time when uh, Tom and Jerry spoke. They decided this was a good idea, and that was the 1992 animated film, which still to this day, oh dear God, what were they thinking? <sighs> it was in theaters, dude. It was in theaters, and it was just such a screw up. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Ooh. No, no, no. Honestly, they, like I said, they shouldn't talk. I mean, nope. I mean, you might as well let Link talk in Legend of Zelda. How that? I mean, he's never spoken. That. He's never spoken in the video games. No, he just grunts. He goes, "Hey, hey, yeah," and you know, just you know, makes his, uh, the noise when he swings his sword. That's it. Huh. That's it. That's all he does. Uh, did you watch <laughs> the Tom and Jerry Kids? I was too old for this, but this is her the, the whole era when they turned everybody into like kids, like children, uh, Scooby Doo, Muppet Babies. Yes, uh, I did watch that. Yeah. I remember the theme song so wonderfully. And it, I liked how they were uh, combining not only Spike and Tyke, you know, his little pup, but uh -huh. also Droopy and his little song, Dripple. Oh, God. <laughs> that, that reminds me too much. Hold on. But, uh, I'll get to a joke later. But Okay, go ahead. Uh, what did it, but yes, no, I did watch that show. Uh, Tom and Jerry were still quiet. They were still kind of showing their old little wacky antics, but in a style that would translate to the 90s kids that were growing up. And my God, did I get excited seeing that big old billboard. I mean, well, yeah, even in the intro song, um, you know, it's just this giant lit up uh, billboard, you know, displaying Tom and Jerry, like getting ready to put on a big show like it's in Vegas or something. That's how... You know, big. Uh, that's how big it felt. And me being a little kid, of course, you know, I'm I, I'm excited for joy. I I, I fucking go batshit crazy over any almost every cartoon, <laughs> except for the Battletoads cartoon. So glad I forgot that. I do enjoy the one you were talking about earlier. The ones that keep the spirit of the old series is the Tom and Jerry Tales. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it's like cheaper Flash animation. Um, but there's still the spirit there. It doesn't look the same uh, with the quality of animation, but the the, the you know the Hanna Barbera designs are there, and they don't speak, and they're in short little quick uh, little stories, whatever. I, I actually think it's quite good. Oh yeah, no, it definitely is. Uh, it's definitely something that's still 
like I said, it's just uh, I'm trying to come up with a proper simile, but I can't. But it still keeps going. The point is, it still keeps fucking going. It never stops. <laughs> Just well, like the Rolling Stones, damn it. Well, it's okay. because MGM is bankrupt over and over and over, and they only have so many things in their catalog that they can utilize. I mean, look, they're doing RoboCop again, which I'm very happy about, but, you know, they only have so many things that people still watch. You know, they tried so many different reboots, and no one cares, and really all they have is, like, you know, Tom and Jerry. Bond. Yeah, you're right. Oh, crap. crap. Rocky. Tom you and know. Jerry, James Bond. Yeah, oh, yeah, Rocky's... Oh, Rocky's gonna be coming up. Uh, well... Not Rocky, but Creed. Creed's getting a sequel. And it's coming yeah, but I mean, uh, the, 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 it's part of that series in a way. Yes, of course. I mean, it's passing on the torch to the next generation. That's what it's doing. And it's working out. And the, the first Creed was wonderful. I loved it. Ryan Coogler did such an amazing job. Yeah. But anyway, back to uh, this joke I wanted to make regarding uh, Droopy. Uh, one of the episodes you sent me to watch was... Uh, <laughs> Was of a uh, droopy like he was cooking sausage, and it was when uh, it was one of the Hooper uh, episodes uh, from recently. It's where uh, Tom gets a jetpack and he's get, letting it go to his head, and he's flying around all over the place, you know, being a total dick. And then like droopy's, uh, he just misses droopy as he's cooking, and he like picks up a, a sausage with his uh, with his fork. He's like, "Oh, that was close." And then Tom comes by and bites it, and he goes, "Oh, my wiener." <laughs> I think to myself it's like like honestly it's like Droopy uh, in Droopy's mind he should be thinking oh who am I kidding that, that thing hasn't been active in decades I'm that old oh <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke I wanted to get it the uh, the other cartoon series I want to quickly discuss it, it's a struggle because there's some decent stuff mixed in here but uh, Terry Toons was always known as the lowest of the low. They were the uh, the Kmart of animation, and uh, I think you know, and they maxed out around ten to fifteen thousand dollars usually per short. And every time that one of the big companies would make a stylistic jump, they wouldn't for like another ten years. So while Warner Brothers and Disney looked amazing by the time you know fourteen nineteen forty seven rolls around. You know, they still look like they're from 1931, and it just looked so rough, and it just took forever. But the company stayed in business because they didn't venture out and do movies, which cost the Fleischer Studio, their uh, their company, and Disney almost went bankrupt a couple times. Um, they didn't have any big backings. I mean, 20th Century Fox was not the powerhouse that it is today, which is funny because I think today is the day that it sold to Disney, like it completed. Um, but 20th Century Fox back then was just one of those kind of mid-budget you know, just trucking along, trying to stay in business, companies. Right. Well, nowadays, I, I think what 20th Century Fox could be for Disney is, like, it could be the mature uh, movie powerhouse. You know, kind of like when they had Hollywood Pictures and all that, before, you know, <clears throat> way back in the 90s. Now this could be their outlet to doing, like, R-rated horror stuff. Like I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, this is my theory. Disney bought Fox to get their properties back, uh, to buy the catalog for streaming, and they're going to sell it off. D Disney has no interest in Die Hard. They have no interest in Planet of the Apes. They have no interest in The Kingsman. I don't think R-rated movies is in there. If they did, they would just reopen Hollywood Pictures or Touchstone, or they want to sell Miramax and Dimension off. I don't think it's in their interest to do it. I mean, they don't give a shit about Aliens and Predator. They want Deadpool. They want X-Men. They want their catalogs. 
and uh, um, Fantastic Four. They want all this stuff oh, back yeah. in their house. And word has it that the new X-Men movie and the new New Mutants movie um, are unwatchable and that they're going to throw the films away. Well, no. If anything, they're probably not going to be unwatchable. Well, in their eyes, because it's you know it's not PG. I mean, look at Deadpool. We shoot. It's probably going to go back to PG if they decide to come out with a third one. I don't know. Like, what to say. Know, I mean, they won't go PG. They'll do PG thirteen. But no. But I'm saying is they said that uh, New Mutants is nothing like they thought it was going to be. It's really not even about New Mutants. It's a horror movie that just happens to have the New Mutants in it. So they made him go back and do reshoots, and I guess it's still unwatchable. And the X Men is so half-assed that the actors look like they're phoning in their performances that the director was very far behind on everything and that they just it's just a mess so they've done reshoots 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 and i think what's going to happen is that disney's just going to ditch them you know they're going to dump them in theater for like you know just real quickly without actually disney spending any money on it like fox is going to have to handle it oh god right. no i'm so looking forward to dark phoenix too yeah I, honestly... well i was not because when i saw simon kinberg was a director a guy if you have never directed a movie before, you should not be given a movie that costs more than fifty million dollars, not much less one hundred fifty. Oh crap! Possibly, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Taika Waititi was the fluke. Let's admit that. Yeah, well, I mean, he had done a couple movies, so he at least had some work. Uh, let's get back on uh, the topic here. Uh, so yeah. Terry Toons was mostly known for doing Mighty Mouse, Heckle and Jekyll. And for the most, I mean, just a lot of the cartoons were throwaways. A lot of the stuff's in the public domain because they didn't bother to re-up their rights. I mean, who gives a shit about Gandy Goose, Dinky Duck? I mean, they're really boring characters. It was just filler because every other major studio had an animation line that, you know, and then Fox just had their also, you know, just, eh, we got one. It doesn't, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I yeah, like I said, oh, God, watching those, they were kind of kind of rough. I mean, the animation quality was very, you know, low. Yeah. Uh, Deputy Dog in particular, I mean, it was so choppy, I'm like, oh, gosh, this might as well have been just uh, one sh- one drawing per frame. Yeah. Pretty much it. That's, it should have just, just been that and I, just with some audio. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I, the higher-end companies would do 24 frames of animation per second, and lower-end companies would only do 12, which is why it's a little more stilted. I get the feeling Terry Toons did six. Um, so, so between, so like I said before, Disney, Warner Brothers, you know, the Looney Tunes, then MGM, and then in the middle there was, um, UPA, and then, uh, Woody Woodpecker, which is Walter Lance's company, and then Terry Toons, basically. (laughs) Oh, I know, I forgot. Paramount had one. It was the Fleischer studio, but when they went bankrupt, they became famous studio. A lot of that stuff went bankrupt, too, because Paramount didn't give a shit. No, no, that's the problem. It's like, you you have this property, but, like, you know, you're just sitting there letting it dangle over the edge, and you're deciding not to help it out. It's almost, it's pretty much just, like, you know, oh, gosh. You're not even monitoring your own child and seeing what they do, and they're about to fall out the freaking crib and you're not even gonna like you know bother to help them like shit that's pretty much what it was yeah fair amount uh in in uh was it 59 55 uh gene dyche also took over that too weird uh took over um terry tunes after it was sold to cbs what's that that didn't help them at all no and they said the budgets were even cut lower so i'm thinking they probably did it for like eight thousand. it just it's really really slim 
there's a, I, I think some of it's interesting. The uh, like Deputy Dog, which is Astronaut. Astronaut was fun. Uh, Deputy Dog is actually um, Jim Carrey's favorite cartoon. Oh wow! Yeah. You think that's who he was channeling in that funnier die skit with uh, my cold dead hand? Maybe. Um, he did the Sydney the elephant's not uh, not bad. Hector Heathcote the the Hashimoto is simultaneously progressive and regressive because it plays into the stereotypes. But the fact that they had an animated character as the main character, the protagonist was actually very interesting. Yeah, that. Oh god, Mighty Heroes. Uh, I couldn't get into that. Yeah, Mighty Heroes is the very last thing they did. Before they went out. The reason I showed it to you is because it's when Ralph Bakshi, for one year, took over the studio. Oh, wow. Well, um, uh, but overall, like, damn, he could, only, he only could have done so much because there was nothing appealing about Mighty Heroes. I'm like, Rope Man? No. I was like, oh, God, these guys, these guys are supposed to be superheroes, but they're just big idiots. That's it to me. That's all they were to me. Yeah, there was not. There's no layers. The, the animation was weak. The story sucked. But I kind of like a little bit of that uh, streamlined animation uh, that UPA designed. You know, minimalist. Yeah, no. It's like, oh gosh, I was just waiting for it to be done. Like, it's only five minutes, but it feels. I like know. I'm sorry, but I just feel like it was necessary <laughs> for at least to view a few of it them. Had to be. Yeah, I know. It had to have been. <laughs> After that, I was just so emotionally trained. Like, I just. <laughs> Kind of like how Rick and Morty felt in, uh, uh, what, uh, episode, I think it was like the fifth episode, uh, season three. Yeah. Where they just get, where they look like they're so tired and just like completely out of it. And they're just like buckling in in their ship and they're just yelling out, oh God, fuck, oh fuck, fuck, like the entire time. And I, people actually use that, uh, for the reaction of, uh, after seeing Infinity War. Nice. Uh, yeah. There's some oddities in there, but um, the one thing that's interesting is I think the Mighty Mouse cartoons suck. Um, I didn't show any of those to you, but in 1987 it was revived for the third time. There was there was a 70s series I never I've never seen, and I remember, that's when Heckle and Jekyll came back. It was on CBS. I just remember that when I was really young. It was like three, I think, when it happened. And uh, but in 1987, Ralph Bakshi and John Kay revived Mighty Mouse, and it was horribly controversial. And some episodes were completely pulled or they were edited. And it is a masterpiece of animation. And I gotta find it for you. you gotta see this. The new adventures are fantastic. Oh, which one for uh, Mighty Mouse? It's, it's Mighty Mouse, the, the new adventures. It was in 1987, John K. Ralph Bakshi. Uh, they had it on the network on CBS. They had a really decent budget. But they were pushing the medium, and I, a lot of people got uh, upset, and so they would edit or pull episodes. Mm. Okay. Now, I think I remember seeing one short in particular. Oh, gosh. Um, I think we had it recorded. Oh, my gosh. There were so many random things recorded on the VHS tape. Oh, like, the glory of the VHS cartoon. tape that was a mess. Not, there's nothing like it where you're just like, when did I tape this? It's like half a movie. You got two episodes of a TV show that lasted like five episodes. You got oh, all yeah. these old MTV videos. You know, it just and you just watch it sometimes. You're like, this is a oh, weird like, hodgepodge. Oh yeah, I see that. It's like first a few uh, Mighty Mouse episodes, some old Superman, and then there was Michael Jackson music videos would pop up, and then next thing you know, it's Masters of the Universe. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> 
All right, oh, so that is pretty much it here for us uh, back in Tunes. Next episode, we're exploring the 20th anniversary, uh, sorry, 30th anniversary of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We're going to talk about the animated shorts that they did after the movie. We're going to discuss Bonkers, the failed Who Framed Roger Rabbit spinoff on television, which nobody could get the rights to, so they just made up a whole new cartoon. And uh, we're going to throw in Woody Woodpecker, uh, just because we didn't have time for it in this episode. And uh, then we'll just progress forward into the 60s. We'll find some Hanna-Barbera cartoons to discuss. Then 70s, we're doing Hong Kong Fooey, people. Hong Kong Fooey. And then we're going to go right back into the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. It's going down, folks. (laughs) Time to get frigate. All right, uh, Jacob, send us out. All right, everybody. uh, Namaste and good luck. Be excellent to each other every single day. If you don't shut up, I'll push you out my way. What? Hey, everybody. It's Comics on Infinite Earths. Your host, Michael, here. And my guest this episode is Jacob. Yep. Just came in from the... Just came in from the beach, hanging out with all the whales and all the Atlanteans. You know, just having some fun. <laughs> um, so, if you're not linked into our pages, I've been talking about kind of ending this series. Um, it's been a two and a half year experiment. It's uh, I like doing the episodes, but it's been kind of a pain in the ass um, finding you know what I want to discuss, what other people want to discuss. The fact it costs so much money sometimes to get these stories, so. These will probably be more uh, either short seasons or uh, occasional specials. We're kind of planning on doing... You can totally hear me open my Gatorade. (laughs) Delicious. Not brought to you by Gatorade, by the way. Just some thirsty. Oh, shit. Blackberry Wave. Hmm. Um, No, seriously. Not getting sponsored. But I wouldn't mind some free Gatorades. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, uh, it's just getting really hard to do the episodes. Um, there's some stuff that I really want to do with Jacob, and we've been putting off for years. I just don't have the time or the money. Because uh, we've been leaving it hanging now for, I think, a year and a half is the follow-up to Death of Superman, you know, the Reign of the Superman and, and Return. And uh, what was the, What's the second one again? Doomsday. No, 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 no. This, the, the Funeral for a Friend. Yeah, that was the other one. Yeah, I all, this, yeah, I have all those. And then there's the fifth volume in that series, which was Doomsday. It took place after, um, you know, Superman being revived and everything like that, where yeah. he actually goes to uh, Apocalypse and has to stop Doomsday there. Uh-huh. And even Darkseid can't even do it because Darkseid gets his ass kicked. Yeah. No, I've done, I've done a couple episodes by myself, but it's just nowhere nearly as fun. I mean, they do okay, but I just don't enjoy doing them as well. I mean, I have a long list of shit that I want. I had a Teen Titans thing. I had uh, um, Captain America, who I was... I, if all the comic books that I read in a consistent run, I think the longest is Spider-Man, but Captain America is an extremely close second. I think I read it solidly from uh, issue 317 to way past 400. And there's stuff that I want to discuss, wow. but just some people don't seem to be interested. And, and it's always been kind of a retro show. And people are like, well, what about this and this and this? I'm like, well, that was just like three years ago. I don't think it, that's that retro. I think there has to be some sort of moratorium, at least 10 years. Right. I mean, we should also at least discuss. Um, well, did we ever discuss the uh, Action Comics uh, 1000? No, I, I, did, I didn't get it. And I could. I do have a comic book store right on the corner, but I'm also just being very careful with my money. Um, as, as some of you might know, uh, I lost my dog in February, 
but last year we had emergency surgery uh, to save her life because she her, her spleen exploded and she nearly bled to death and it cost me uh, with follow-up appointments, cancer treatments, and everything like that, and then her funeral and burial and stuff like that. Not burial, but you know what I mean. Um, I mucked my eyeballs in debt. It's like $11,000. And, and then they tricked me and didn't show me in the paperwork anywhere that uh, the debt was building the entire time. Or not the, the debt. The interest was building this entire year. And if I don't pay it off on the anniversary date, they're going to throw the entire accumulated interest on top of it. They told me no interest... Um, if paid within a year. Well, I thought that meant on August whatever that that's when the interest would start. That's how credit cards work. It doesn't build that entire year and then they slap it on. So if I don't get paid off in uh, less than 60 days, I owe another, I think, $1,500, which sucks ass. So that's a that's a big uh, problem with the show is I can I can't even pay my hosting fees, really. So I have to wait till the end of the month when they come dirt cheap. Uh, so that's what's going on with the show. Right. So... Mm. And it is a sad, and it is a sad state for sure. Yeah. Um, so hopefully in the future, maybe we'll do some more stuff. But we're gonna kind of add it to our new show. Um, what's gonna include everything from Back in Tunes, some stuff from Trash Cinema, uh, stuff from video games, current movie news. Maybe we'll throw in some stuff about you know TV shows that we like at a time. But it's gonna include comic books, you know, nerd culture kind of stuff for the most part. Um, so you got to kind of rein in your shows. I have way too many shows going as it is, so by the end of the year, a lot of these shows are going to be ended, and maybe there'll be a special here and there, but it's not going to be a continuing series. Um, okay, so enough stalling on that one. Let's uh, let's talk about this episode. It is going to be about Aquaman and Namor, mostly Aquaman, because i got to tell you. Oh, for sure. I don't dig Namor. I don't really dig him, and I true, the comics that I read were not the initial run by John Byrne, and I didn't read a lot of the classic stuff, you know, in the 70s. I didn't read anything from the Invader years or the fact when he was in the Fantastic Four so much. This is more, yeah. um, this is early 90s after John Byrne had quit. To be fair, most of these comics that we discuss and read on the show, I got free from our sponsor, and um, Zen Monster Media... Um, is one of them. So they'll send us comic books from time to time. We'll pick a story and they'll be like, okay, cool. I got those. I can toss them your way. We don't get paid. We just get some free comics to read if they're available. Oh, for sure. I mean, that bundle you sent me, oh my God. <laughs> I'm what, loving it. What did I send you again? Okay, because we're doing Ghost Rider for our next episode. I mean, the show's ending or at least minimizing the episodes, but it's going to be right. a little bit. We're just trying to wrap it up this year. Yeah, shit, shitload of Ghost Rider. The Midnight Suns, um, whole rise sequence yeah. oh my gosh ghost rider ghost rider ghost rider ghost rider ghost rider oh morbius <laughs> you sent me some morbius comics yeah and the then... ray oh you sent me a ray graphic novel oh i totally forgot about it. yeah so those are gonna be two separate episodes so we're gonna do one um it's gonna pair up with our other show video night so one episode me and jacob are gonna discuss the blade trilogy and then we'll come over to comics on infinite earth and then discuss like the horror comics the ghost rider shit we should watch the ghost rider movies too um, I'm curious if... Oh, man. Well, I don't know, I'll man. I, I didn't like him at the time. I'll try. <laughs> um, and I forgot. I'm sorry. Zen Monster Media changed their name to uh, Loves to Read. Um, I know that's kind of a generic name, but uh, they're on Amazon and eBay and comic books and movies and, and books and stuff like that. So you can find those goodies there. I'm getting a little hoarse. Oh, we just got done doing an episode about Dolph Lundgren, and we ended it with discussing Aquaman movie because he has an appearance in it. So I thought, hey, why don't we just go ahead and jump right into the Aquaman Namor discussion? Exactly. The uh, so with Namor, 
you know, a lot of it, it's funny how much him and Aquaman are similar in their emotional state. They always seem to be filled with rage. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I always found uh, Namor a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more skeptical and a bit more of a dick. Yeah, I mean, there were times when he was a straight-up villain. Oh, yeah, for sure. He would just attack the surface. He wanted to, you know, take over the surface world. He was more like, uh, if anything, more relatable to uh, Ocean Master. You, you know what? He is, yeah, he's more similar to Ocean Master. There's some times when he's been on the good side of things, but barely. It always seems like it's hanging by a thread. And that's kind of the nervous level you get with Namor because you never know what side he's going to fall on. When there's times when he's part of the Illuminati, and the Illuminati seemed like a good idea, but there are things that they did that were kind of fucked up. Didn't they send Hawk into space? And that was like Namor's like pushing point. He's like, we got to get rid of this sucker. Pretty much, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Whatever. Pretty much. Uh, if it ever came down to like the you know the whole civil war um, aspect in Marvel, he probably would be on the side of. Uh, I think he probably would have been on Iron Man's side. Maybe, but he's also a reckless kind of person who doesn't like following rules and he doesn't like government. So I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and, mm. and plus, if you look at the comic book world. He was always with Captain America, you know, because they were part of the Invaders. So oh, I don't yeah, think that's he would. I don't. I don't think he would be with Iron Man's side. I think he was, you know, to flip him off, whatever, and jump in the ocean. And go, you guys, take care of yourselves. And he wouldn't say take. He Pretty would much. say fuck yourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like why the real Thor didn't show up in Civil War. He's like, uh, this isn't my uh, area per yeah. se. This is your guys' thing. I'm, I'm, st I'm just gonna watch and eat popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, so the 90s run was kind of a revival. You know, John Byrne, I don't know if you guys, younger people will know who John Byrne is, but he is a god when it comes to comic book creations. Uh, basically started off, I might have this wrong, but I, this is what I remember. Uh, his first, first old thing was doing the Iron Fist series. And he did that for two years and then jumped over to do a couple of the Power Man Iron Fist. But then he got tapped to be part of the legendary run of X-Men when Chris Claremont came over as the writer and just fucking destroyed everything he knew about the X-Men, rebuilt them all. He took over from Dave Cockrum. And this is during the uh, Dark Phoenix era is when he really became known oh, as wow. the go-to X-Men artist. And Dark Phoenix era, I think, was like one of the best runs of the X-Men universe. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, responsible for the birth of Alpha Flight, which went for like 110 issues. Um, oh, wow. Part of the rebirth of Steel. He worked on Fantastic Four for years. Um, I think he did a little bit of Batman. But then in the 90s is when things started getting shaky. He would do the occasional stuff. Like he did, uh, I think it was called Chapter One, uh, the first year of Spider-Man. Um, that didn't. I don't think that did very well, critically or commercially. And he decided to go over to Dark Horse and he created the Next Men, which nobody remembers. And honestly, I read a couple issues not that long ago. Not very good. And I just don't know what happened to him, but for like 25 years there, he was like the A-lister, the guy who you always went to for something big. Like close to Alan Moore status. And more than that, I think it's when he, he, I, think oh, wow. he was, I think he was better as a, an artist than he was as a writer. But I do think that he did a, a fairly decent job in D.C. Because uh, I remember him being on Wonder Woman for a while, too. I should look this up before I start jabber-jawing because I'm pissing some people off. Did you know that we pissed off some people with our Blue Beetle episode? Because we only talked about Blue Beetle for 10 minutes uh, out of the 50-minute episode. And I didn't even realize it until I listened to it. I was like, son of a bitch, we fucked the people over. <laughs> Damn. 
I really did. Oh shit, we probably. I think we did. I think we went off on tangents, but we went right back to Ted Cord. Uh, yeah, well, the problem was that was during that time period when you and I were. Um, no, it wasn't you and I. It was me and Avery. When Avery comes on the show, we do talk about the main story, but we also like to bounce around on different topics. So it's kind of like a a, a pinball if uh, episode, if you want to call it that, where you just bounce around from paddle to paddle. Um, trying to go stick to my guns here, uh, stick to the topic. Uh, yeah, so Nemor I don't find as interesting, um, but during the John Byrne run, it seemed like it was doing well in sales, had excellent art, and it's immediately after he left is when Marvel was going through that phase during the extreme era, you know, not not just oh, gimmicks right. with yeah. the covers. This is when all of a sudden they brought everybody back and gave them like the extreme over, you know, just makeover. They did that with Nomad, they did it with Ghost Rider, I think Punisher, they, they decided to make him black. Uh, Luke Cage, they gave him a new costume, got rid of Power Man, and then Namor, they gave him this big scraggly beard and, and long, long hair. Um, and that's when the, like what I, they did with Aquaman? They did the same thing, yeah. It worked better with Aquaman, but still a 90s gimmick to make them extreme. But the yeah. Namor art and storyline is abysmal. I couldn't even get through it. Yeah, as far as it goes, I, the little arc uh, that I was reading the, from the comics that you sent me where he was... Um, being manipulated and you know by Doctor and going up against Doctor Doom, I thought that it was getting pretty good. Oh man, but uh, yeah, he's definitely uh, much more aggressive and you know hostile towards uh, uh, hostile towards um, land surface dwellers. Yeah, than Aquaman is, and right. I'm like, eh. If I remember correctly, his big thing in the beginning was the fact that he was in love with Invisible Woman and hated Reed Richards, and they're always getting into tussles over that. Uh, it's like, well, dude, she loves Reed, not you, Namor. Get over it. Yeah. I'm um, sure you can find another beautiful uh, undersea woman. The, uh, the fact that he looks like Spock with less, less clothing and the fact he has these little tiny wings on his feet, uh, I always thought was silly. Yeah, I <laughs> I was about to ask, like, why does he have little wings on his feet? Where did those come from? I don't get is it. it. Like, is it like a reference to those flying fish or what? I don't know. I mean, do they actually help him fly? I never understood that part. That seems stupid. Just get rid of it. Exactly. When, uh, when he swims, but, doesn't it slow him down? Yeah, you, you know, you think it would. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, again, uh, Namor I just never found as interesting. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that they haven't, that Marvel hasn't just, uh, done anything with him as far as, uh, you know the cinematic universe goes they tried well not well technically they didn't try fox tried fox had the rights and they had david self writing the script and david self is known for doing uh road to perdition and it just never came to be they're even doing like hypothetical castings in waves Art magazine like they said david boreanaz for a while when he was thin um and then i remember the kid uh ian summerholder was kind of talked about but it just never came together I don't see it happening. It just, uh, especially now that Aquaman's already made, I don't think they're ever going to do it. Yeah, no. Plus, if anything, Aquaman's always kind of stole the show when it comes to the underwater superheroes. Yeah. Um, and and now there's Jason other Momoa ones. I mean, there's uh, there's Fathom, which they've never done. There's Sea Devils. Um, but yeah, underwater is not a big world in the comic books. Well, I mean, in a way, like you, you I mean, especially uh, in reality, it definitely is. It's like 70% oh, of yeah, the yeah, planet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, however, like, what they can do with it, um, just like uh, with uh, that New 52 uh, uh, Aquaman that you sent me where he's going under the trench and there's this uh, 
ancient race. They're not Atlanteans, but there's like this ancient underwater race yeah, that like, comes out of the blue and starts to attack. Okay, so let's let's go to Aquaman real quick. So Aquaman has always been the yes. butt of jokes for decades. Um, you know, oh, I think since the 60s. I, yeah, I think it's because you know he was introduced as kind of like a fun lobby, and this way all the comic books were honestly. But it took him forever to get updated. It seemed. Um, you know, he just ride around on a fucking seahorse, wearing his silly little pants and you know, orange shirt, and. Um, you know, I remember that in the late 80s when Justice League of America wasn't selling for shit, um, they didn't have any of the big heroes, and basically it was down to Martian Manhunter and Aquaman, and Aquaman led the team, and then Martian Manhunter, I think, led the team for a while, and it was called Justice League Detroit. They literally had a cave as a, a headquarters, which seems ridiculous. Uh, they had no real team members, they had like Steel and Vibe and... Um, fuck, oh, yeah. uh, Gypsy Gypsy thank you I couldn't remember some of them uh, I think Zatanna might have been one of them but it's when it was getting really low end on you know A-listers and B-listers um, then in the 90s Peter David came along and updated the character he did the Atlantis Chronicles you know trying to give you an idea of their history and that did well so they said hey you know we've been trying to get this Aquaman go uh, comic going for a while um I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was in Adventure Comics for a long time. And then he had his own series, but only lasted for like two years. And then he came back in the 80s with just a miniseries. It didn't do well. And it's the 90s that I think most people know him from because this is when it, it got kind of extreme. You know, he grew the beard, uh, he grew his hair out. And then in, in the storyline that I sent you is uh, when he loses his fucking hand. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but Piranhas, I was like, ugh. But it was in a sacrificial move, and he got a very good hook hand. <laughs> I, I still don't understand. Really, a hook hand? I just, all right. just seems like that would be really dangerous. I just hope well, he doesn't forget and like, go to pick his nose and then takes out one of his nostrils. <laughs> well, he had to learn very quickly, and he's the kind of guy who learns quickly. After all, he is a king. Yeah. Um... And, and that was kind of like the version we knew in the cartoons was the extreme version. Did he still have the hook in his hand during Justice League? Um, not right away, though. At first, you know, he had a hand. He was, you know, this was before uh, Ocean Master betrayed him. You know, left him in the left him in the depths, about to be, you know, sunk into a volcano. And then he cuts his hand off in order to save him and his child. That's in the cartoon? Why don't I remember that insanity? Oh, yeah, no, it was nuts. And, it, well, the first run... Well, at least the first season of Justice League, it, every episode was like a two-parter. Right. You know, this part happened, then the next episode was the conclusion. Okay, okay. You know, which was done really, and it was done really well. And it's where uh, Superman does give him good advice, like when it comes to making peace with the Earth world, with the surface world. Uh -huh. He goes, "You want me to?" He's like, "You want me to go to them like I'm a like I'm and you know, and ask for a, uh, for peace like I'm a like I'm a." Like, I'm a commoner or nothing? He's like, no. I want you to go before them like a king. Oh, man. I was like, yeah, that's exactly... That's how Aquaman should be seen as. Right. And how I... he should be respected. Because not only is he a king, but he has, you know, access to advanced technology, has super strength, has reflexes, can beat the shit out of, like, pretty much almost anyone... Well, at least under... Uh, anyone under Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you're beating like the, the shit out of me. Could we just step down here? I'm really thirsty. Just no, 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 no. Come just down the water, and I beat you. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. Everyone always thought, like, you know, Aquaman's powers were just, you know, talking to fish. You know, that was it. But and, no. and, and a putrid scent coming from us. Like, no, 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 no. Look, we have 20 oh, tables at this Justice water. League conference. We're all going to sit on this end. You have that seat way over there on the other end. No, no, no. Just go. That's your seat. You're the head of that area. <laughs> yeah. But, again, Time and Tide and this Into the Abyss series. And there was that one where uh, San Diego sinks underwater. Yeah, that's the one I, I have with me right now. Now, the Time and Tide was necessary. It, that's the one that gives kind of a rebooted idea of what it was like for him in his early years, right? Yes, of course, for his early years up until, uh, you know, his contact with the... Yeah, well, Flash is the one who introduces him and helps. Right, him right. Because Aquaman helped him with a, a foil of robbery. But it also has him, like, questioning his past, you know, this and that. Learning of his true heritage, you know, being called, you know, a descendant of Orin, who was like this great, um, he was like this great, uh, wizard throughout, uh, Atlant Atlantis's history. Mm -hmm. He was able to manipulate water and do all this really amazing and powerful shit. And he was also a descendant of a particular, of, uh, oh gosh, I forget the guy's name, but he was like very, um, evil. He wasn't. Well, he was he was part, he wasn't fully Atlantean. He was more like a the creature of the Black Lagoon. Oh, he was something like that. But yeah, I forget I the guy's so. name. But anyway, he was so great and terrible. And you know, Arthur feels like he's like you know eventually get, uh, end up just like that. Mm -hmm. But again, his action—you know—he learns that it's going to be his actions that are going to you know show the world who he is, and to himself. The uh, there's been so many reboots of Aquaman that it's hard to keep track of what's going on. I mean, I'm sure if you're a hardcore fan of him, the, this isn't even an issue. Um, but you know, we run through the era where he had the hook in his hand, the long hair, the beard, and then in the early 2000s they did a reboot, and, and that's where we get the Sub Diego storyline. Um, he yeah. gets the hook uh, hand taken away, and then he gets like this. See, I miss a lot of this, so if anybody knows, just inform me. But I like the idea of his fluid hand. Uh, it makes a lot more sense than the hook. Oh, of course, yeah, him being Atlantean. And Mira, who can manipulate, you know, water and, you know, <clears throat> shape it into, like, weapons and all that. Like, was able to, you know, show Arthur how to manipulate, you know, to just to give himself a new hand. Uh-huh. And do many other amazing things with it. Well, I mean, this also, they got rid of the beard, the long hair, they gave him back his classic suit, and this time they made the classic suit look fucking cool. I mean, and I don't mean in the way, you know how they did, um, you know how they changed Batman's suit to make him look more updated, more realistic, they did the same thing with Captain America? You can take these old costumes and just tweak them a little bit so that they look like they're plausible, like it's something that you could actually see on film. And this is kind of the look that Arthur has in the movie. Um, well, I mean, he, he bounces, I guess he's supposed to wear this, uh, was it chain mail, scale kind of thing? Yes, scale mail, kind of, uh, scale mail. armor, actual armor. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, kingly armor, you know, gotta be presentable, especially in battle or at the court when you were gonna, you know, demand justice. Uh-huh. And fuck shit up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the storyline that I have here is Sub Diego. Now, this is, i not final... Maybe Final Crisis? It goes Identity Crisis. crisis. Like pre-Final Crisis? Yeah, there's so many of them. The Crisis of Conscience. Um, I, I don't think it's Final Crisis, but um, during that time, there was an earthquake in San Diego, and basically half of it splits off and sinks into the ocean, and most of these people are dead. Aquaman goes down and basically discovers there's a, a, some of the population has adapted 
and you know they can live underwater now but they can't live i mean it's it's funny because it's whole it starts off as a murder mystery like how are these people ending up like basically asphyxiating on oxygen like how is this possible and then right. realizes they've adapted into fish people uh, that's probably Batman's derogatory really i think i actually said a racial term against uh, atlanteans oh my god <laughs> <laughs> well let's just hope that you know uh jason momoa's aquaman doesn't hear that he's gonna <laughs> yeah you're shit pissed. um uh. but basically you know it, he's like a detective underwater which is cool and i love the fact that the slow uh, evolution of the series into almost a horror series. You know, we got this crazy, disgusting monster underground that he's got to take on. You know, there's so many things undersea that we've never even discovered. And that's what Aquaman's smart about, is that it's not this constant, oh, how do we get a guy who's only really powerful underwater up into the real world, and then he's always like, I need water, I'm getting weak. And they're like, no, let's just build a mythos, a whole universe underwater, and, and basically try to keep it down there. Pretty much, yeah. You know, keep him in his own element. But even then, even on land, he's still a very formidable foe. Yeah. Let's not forget that. Also, um, as far as it goes, like, you know, seeing his backstory and uh, his, like, humanity, and, um, again, helping out with the Sub Diego thing, he, gets, he enlists Batman's help for a minute. Uh, I don't remember Batman, but I do remember... Oh, yeah, there he is. Martian Manhunter is actually important to it as well. Plus, he gets a sidekick of sorts. Oh, yeah, that's right. One of the San Diego uh, inhabitants. Yeah. I can't remember her name. But there they was... find out they were like, being genetically manipulated this whole time. Yeah, the one thing that I think kept Aquaman in the old ages where people laughed at him is he had a sidekick named Aqualad, who was part of the Teen Titans. And uh, then slowly they would change his character. He became Tempest... Um, and I think actually Tempest is dead now, but for a while he was a pretty cool character. Just, yeah. they've changed Aquaman so much. I think Aquaman even had like a blue and white suit for a while during the 80s. But it's a character they haven't really figured out. And it was even a joke on Entourage for years is because the main character was an Aquaman movie directed by James Cameron. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> but I think they're starting to get it right. Um, so after this one ends, I believe is when he died, and then they rebooted it with Brightest Day. You know, with Brightest Day and the new 52, and then this new relaunch, I think it's called Convergence. I haven't paid attention too much to the newer comics. They keep relaunching these series over and over and over, and I don't know where to begin. It's driving me crazy, but there is one point where I think it's the Trench storyline is when he fights those, like, basically gigantic piranha people. And he, he can't communicate with them. Oh, he discusses this, by the way. I think in... What's that movie? Throne of Atlantis? Yes. The comic book, I think, is better because it's not an origin story. But I get why the animated movie is an origin story. But he's like, I don't talk to fish. I basically give them basically a push in the right direction. And it's up to them to follow it or not. Yes, exactly. And he does scientifically explain that in Rebirth. And... Heck, it was barely mentioned in Justice League. Like, when Batman asked him, can you actually talk to fish? He's like, the ocean does the talking. But I'll see what I can do. Yeah. I, I, I like his performance. Um, you know, you I do. Like, give him a lot of shit for being a bro. But I'm like, do you want him to be stuffy and bland? I kind of like this version. I know. I do, too. This Because it did remind me of the scruffy 90s version. That's what I'm glad they're going with. But as far as, like, his origin and upbringing... Uh, from what I've read in the Sub Diego and uh, Time and Tide storylines, I really hope they incorporate that in the movie. And James Wan, you know, 
he knows directing, he knows story, he knows character, and he knows action. And he and Walter Hamada are on the same page, considering yeah. their collaboration. I really hope it works. On. Yeah. Um, did you ever get to see that pilot episode I sent you uh, of Aquaman? Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, it definitely like, held up in a lot of places. It was cool to see Ving Rhames. And, yeah. Uh, well, it, originally it was called Mercy Reef. Mercy Reef, and it was supposed to be... Um, you know, an Aquaman TV show, which didn't go beyond pilot. And I don't understand why. Was it cost? Because I thought the pilot was pretty good. It built a mythos immediately. You know, kind of gave you the idea that Ocean Master's down there waiting. And I was, you know, I was like, okay, cool. We're going to get Black Manta, you know, and all this cool stuff. And um, for one reason or another, they didn't go ahead with it. And I was like, I mean, I just watched it this morning for the first time. I thought it was pretty good. And, uh, yeah. But they decided no, and then he just came back to you, you remember how in Smallville they right. um, they had Aquaman, but it was played by a totally different actor. I think they've recast that character three times in five years. Right, and the funny thing is about uh, Aquaman was actually Green Arrow in Smallville. Right, yeah. So I mean, even if they had gone forward, that would have been weird. It's like, what if they change their mind after casting him as Green Arrow? Then someone else has to come and get Green Arrow. Also, so, see, I don't get the Arrow series because. Why didn't Justin Hart? I just don't. Mm. I know they want to create a new universe, but I just don't understand why they didn't just go with J Justin Hartley. He was fine as he was. Oh God, yeah, I know he was perfect. Everybody loved him. Hell, my friend who didn't even wasn't even a Green Arrow fan, like was a, became a Green Arrow fan after that. Yeah, I'm but a huge I will say this, Green Arrow fan, man. I love that character so much, and I, as much as the Kevin Smith uh, run basically, uh, you know, relaunched him for a whole new audience. There are so many great series, like this, the 70s series, Neil Adams, uh, Denny O'Neill, you know, when he was going around with Green oh. Lantern. Um, fuck, why am I forgetting it all of a sudden? You know, he did Warlord. Who's the guy who drew Warlord? Dreadstar. Mike. Mike. Mike Grell. Mike Grell. Thank you. Damn, why, I'm getting old, dude. My brain's going. You know, when Mike Grell relaunched him as a social political warrior, basically, you know, hunting in the woods and gave him his, you know, new costume, which is what you see in the TV show. In the Longbow Hunters, that is like the run. I mean, that is so epic, so amazing. And the problem with DC rebooting their stuff nonstop now, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for a comic book to have any real legacy when they're like, well, we screwed that one up. So uh, I know this series was good, but, you know, we got to keep it going. So reboot the entire universe and start from scratch. So you're like, wait, no, Green Arrow is going to look like he did in the TV show? Seriously, you're going to piss on everything that we've read for the last, you know, 40 years? Yep. Uh, yeah. I miss I miss his Robin Hood hat. <laughs> I I don't, uh, but I I do like the run of Green Arrow. We're off tangent here. Shit, I did it again. So I back to back to Aquaman. Damn, anyway, how do I fucking uh, do that? <laughs> I don't know. Well, same actor playing Aquaman played Green Arrow. Yeah. Just bounced around from there. Okay. Anyway, uh, like I said, the show was setting up something, but it definitely did have that little like CW um, soap opera kind of drama, which is what CW is known for. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, what I did want to point out was that Lou Diamond Phillips was playing... Uh, uh, why am I forgetting Aquaman's uh, uh, father's name? Uh, the Curry, uh, the actual sailor. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, like, I don't remember yeah. it either, but I know it's... it's I like how... Yeah. Yeah, I liked how he... I liked his uh, casting. That was great. And then there was also uh, another... Uh, character from, well another actress from smallville who she played uh supergirl she played kara and she came in and she was the siren no nope i'm pretty sure that no was that was adrian palicki who was in the gi joe movie was in the pilot for that wonder woman tv show like eight years ago 
uh, Friday Night Lights. Yeah, so she um, played the the mermaid siren thing. Damn, I was so sure that was. I like the horror elements, but you are very correct. This is when DC was doing basically uh, Dawson's Creek with tights, which is a lot of what Smallville was, man. And everybody gives Birds of Prey a bunch of shit, but Birds of Prey didn't pull that crap. No, they didn't. I liked what they were doing with Birds of Prey, especially visually. My God. It really felt like it was part of the Tim Burton universe, honestly. Oh, well, I I wouldn't give it that much credit. All right, okay. (laughs) But anyway, um, I am hoping that, you know, as far as this goes for Aquaman in the movies, I really think uh, his reputation will be solidified as a badass from now on. I hope so. You know, and DC has this whole world that they can play around with, but they seem to be stuck with Batman and Superman. I'm like, dude, you have a huge catalog of characters to choose from. And now Wonder Woman. Yeah, they have yeah, Wonder Woman, uh, you know, Suicide Squad in a way. Um, I don't know what's going on with Suicide Squad because if they do a sequel, is Harley even going to be in it? And isn't that part of the big selling point? So I don't even think they should do a Suicide Squad. I think they should do Secret Six. Secret Six was... Oh, they're doing a... What? Oh, yeah. Uh, they're doing Gotham City Sirens. She'll be in that. Okay, so then there's going to be a Birds of Prey movie, right? Or no? I believe I believe so, yes. They're working on Birds of Prey. Right now, they're just focusing on what's coming out already. There's Wonder Woman 84, uh-huh. There's which is the sequel to Wonder Woman. There's Shazam, and, of course, Aquaman coming out in December. Okay, and but, but there's... They... But I feel like they're talking a lot about... They have a label called Justice League Black or Justice League Dark where they're going to be doing, right. like, the Joker movies and... Uh, oh, what oh, else? yeah. Uh, Steven the Spielberg was interested movies. in doing Blackhawks. So there's... I feel like uh, DC doesn't know yeah. what the hell they're doing right now. There's so much going on, but nothing solidified. Right. Well, as far as it goes for Joker, yeah, they cast Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, but there's also another one with Jared Leto going, so I don't know what the hell that's about. Why would you have two different Joker movies going at the same know, time? Who knows? It's probably rumored by, you know, fanboys who want to see these franchises fail. Yeah, but fanboys also want the fucking Last Jedi remade already, and they're just like, you're idiots. Oh, God. Re- I know. Rian Johnson's just like, you know, I think he's, I, I think his post is just, you know, being sarcastic and making fun of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't believe in, yeah, in, no, in the honestly, DC universe, I really want to see, and it's never going to happen, but you know how I am with Blue Beetle. I want Blue Beetle yes. and Booster Gold. I want Blue and Gold, man, goofing around. Have them do basically an anthology movie where they're in all these crazy adventures with the Justice League. Um, the and, Lord Christopher Miller. What's that? The Lord Christopher Miller. That's all yes, that. those two sure. right there. That's do right. those two guys in the DC universe being wacky, going on crazy adventures, and, uh, you know, they're good Insane at some action. stuff. They're terrible at other stuff. Exactly. <laughs> they're the oddballs. It's the odd couple of like, – well, It is, yeah. It's, yeah um, it is. Who am I kidding? <laughs> but uh, the Flash movie. Every time I turn around, the Flash oh. movie has lost its director, lost its writers, changed its point. But I feel like Flashpoint might be a good way to alter the universe. And, and what's going on with Batman yes. again? Well, Matt Reeves, I think it's ousting Ben Affleck. He wants a younger Batman, and I don't think Ben Affleck's coming back. He's still on board with everything else, just casting. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Joe Mangianello has been screwed as Deadshot. Or no, no, not Deadshot. Deathstroke. Deathstroke. And they're just like, could you hurry up and get this going? Because it would be a lot of fun to do this, but you're really stalling. Exactly. I know. It, and he's such a great villain, too. And Joe Mangianello... Especially at the post-credit scene of Justice League, looks perfect. 
Okay, so I think that's about it with uh, this episode here. Thank you for listening to us jabber on about nerdy shit. Um, sorry, if, if we don't know everything about the comic book universe, it's really hard to know it all. I know somebody has like this database built into their brain where they can do all this stuff. So I'm sorry if we do miss some stuff. We don't talk about other things as much as you want us to. But just remember, it's our fucking show. We just do what we want. We, we, we want to make ourselves happy first. Um, there's other podcasts out there. If it crawls up your ass so bad, just go listen to somebody else, okay? Um, you want everybody. But I mean, if you have constructive criticism, cool. I will take that. I'm not some thin-skinned little whiner that can't. I'm not the president. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, seriously, and if you have any topics or anything you want us to discuss... Uh, send them to us. We are under Retro Rocket Entertainment. You'll find all our podcasts there. And our Patreon under the same name, Retro Rocket Entertainment. And Jacob, thank you very much for this episode. And remember, check out Jen Loves Books. Did I do that right? All right. I, I'm not, I, I, I like, oh, no, no, Love Street. Where the fuck did I get that from? Um, <laughs> sponsor Loves to Read on Amazon and eBay. And I do have some stuff coming up. If you're curious, we have... Um, an episode about failed universes that the DC and Marvel launched called New Universe and Impact Comics and stuff like that. Um, actually, hold on. Whatever stacks I have here, we're doing the Ghost Rider horror comic stuff soon. Um, the Ray. Did you get to watch the cartoon yet? Uh, not yet, no. The Freedom Fighters cartoon is great. I heard there was a Constantine cartoon as well. I want to check that out. Um, actually, I've already done this one, done this one. We've done Lonely Place of Dying. Okay, so I don't know what's coming up next. I have comics here that I've already done. Uh, Starman is one that I've always wanted to discuss. I think I'm going to discuss with my friend Tony. Uh, Power Girl, which is a phenomenal comic book that Jeff Jones... Oh, let's talk about that real quick. Jeff Jones, stepping down so he can control more stuff over uh, in the creative world instead of just being the executive. Oh, exactly. I know. They, I felt that Warner Brothers and the execs limited him too and his presence. Yeah. And now, presence what, Jim Lee's taking over? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Fucking hey, Jim Lee. That's a great substitute. It is. Jim Lee, I don't... I think people forget that he was an executive over his own very successful label for years, Wildstorm. And then when he sold to DC, they kind of neutered it and then eventually decided to absorb the characters into their universe. Basically just Grifter, because I don't see anybody else coming around. Um, Yeah, I haven't even seen Spartan. I mean, he draws, but not as often as you think he does. And I think it is the right time for him to step up because I feel like Jeff Jones has so many stories that he desperately wants to tell and he has that ability. So Jim Lee, you know, I think he can do like covers for comics and some fill and stuff at the same time doing the executive and he's very smart. Of course. Yes, for sure. And also as far as Jeff Jones, though, uh, he's still working on the Green Lantern movie. And honestly, that's perfect. Space Cops is. If anything, all I do, oh god, that announcement made me think of Spaceballs. If That's they, the first thing I thought of. if they do not cast Sean William Scott as Guy Gardner, as Guy Gardner. they're blowing it. Oh my god! I'll take Ike he, Barinholtz if you don't go with him. Oh wow, that would be a good, that would be a good casting choice. Do you know that all oh, morning I kept going around like Owen Wilson? Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! wow. Yeah, no, that works out really well. <laughs> although i found a wallet here over here there's no money in it whatsoever <laughs> oh gosh anyway uh yeah anyway, all right i think i think we've covered what we needed to cover we have 
That was a long conversation because right. you guys don't know that we just I... did another episode before this. Oh. I will say this, though. Um, picking Aquaman to discuss was perfect because, you know, summertime, you know, everybody wants to go out to the beach and go out in the water. And also on the DC Universe online game, Tides of War is the big seasonal event. No shit, I didn't and know you that. Have to go out in the water. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we, we talked about this. Now, this is one of those episodes that's taken us forever to get around to as well. Didn't I send you those uh, issues like four months ago? Uh, which issues? The oh, Aquaman, the, uh, Namor. Aquaman? I feel like, I mean, I, I, I only yeah. burned through them because there was a period of time where I had pneumonia. For oh. like four days, and I just yeah. stayed up all night coughing and reading Aquaman comics. So that's how, how I finally got through it. Our sponsor probably isn't happy with us for taking for fucking ever to get through these things. So we were supposed to do these episodes like every other month, but obviously we haven't got to it. So, hey, we did this one. We'll have the Ghost Rider one next month, and then... Uh, and then we'll do whatever after that. I don't know. I, I subject oh. Jacob to doing so many fill-in episodes for every podcast. Because Back in Tunes is our b- uh, bread and butter. And we still have episodes we need to do before we end that series. And I think people are getting impatient. But we got to finish this stuff first. So uh, we'll be back probably in August with uh, another run of Back in Tunes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no. Honestly, and I think after we discuss Ghost Rider, I mean – I'm still on a Superman hype. I really want to discuss Superman. Yeah, I, I, I gotta find something, some significant storyline that I don't have to pay a bunch for because, like I said, my budget is tight. Okay. Well, we can always look up a DC uh, Wikipedia base, or I'm pretty sure there's some audio uh, stuff available. I know, but I kind of want to read it. It's not the same if I hear the yeah, people. Well, I guess that's why this says, don't say that. They won't listen to this podcast. Son of a bitch. <laughs> you jinxed us, Michael. <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, we should probably go now. I, I already said goodbye like five minutes ago. <laughs> All right. Namaste and good luck, everybody. And as Michael would say, be excellent to each other. I should probably go back to saying that. I keep having you say it, and it seems weird. Hey, everybody, be excellent to each other. There. See? That's so hard. <laughs>